Hello, good evening, and welcome to the Comics Experience Graphic Novel of the Month Club. This is the masterpiece selection for the month of July. Um, let me let me preamble a minute here. We do um, we do a lot of interviews. We talk to a lot of people. Uh, I like talking to everybody that I, I like talking to, but I'm actually really kind of genuinely excited tonight uh, for tonight's guest, uh, for someone who's been in this business a really long time and has seen a lot of things uh, and seen the way that the market has changed seen it at its best and maybe seen it at its worst. And uh, I could not be more excited on, on this, the, the eve of the 30th anniversary of Bone Number 1. Uh, I am so thrilled to have Jeff Smith with me. He's holding up his, his, his original first printing copy of Bone Number 1. There you go. Uh, August uh, 91, is that right? July. Oh, July, sorry, right, because it's still June. That's right. Corona time, yeah. Yeah, you were you were I, done. I you were off to the printer by, by this point, though, right? Huh? Sorry, it was right. off to the printer by June of 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 twenty one, yeah. of ninety one. Oh yeah, well yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, thirty years. Thirty years, dude, and you were gotten business right around that time too. Yeah, I started in eighty nine, so 89. I was I was two years ahead of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's like when did uh when 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 did Sandman start? Was that eighty nine or eighty? Uh, start, Sandman started in eighty eight. So yeah, we we opened up when Sandman. I want to say it was Sandman Five was the first month we opened. I think. Wow. Um. Yeah. Here's yeah. a fun. Here's a fun fact for you. When I went into a, a local comic book store here in Columbus, Ohio, to see Bone on the shelf of a comic book store for the very first time, uh, it was called Comics Connection, uh, and on the shelf that month was wizard number one mm. and bone number one they were the same they they shipped the same time and, Nobody and one of them still exists and is relevant and the other one is not at all relevant in any way shape or form i am not going to make fun i'm not going to tease <laughs> no no i'm not i'm just it's <laughs> funny because it's funny because everybody thought i mean wizard was the bible for the longest time and was, um yeah. uh because because i just i one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was was the you know the early part of self publishing uh, and um, and yeah well hold on but before I do that let me ask the first question because I got to ask the first question and it's always the same first question because it's my favorite question why comics of all the things you could be doing in your life what is it about comics that 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 speaks to you that makes your heart sing that had to be the thing that you had to do. You know, I, I I don't know for sure, but I, I bet it's the same thing that made you want to be a part of comics uh, or other cartoonists wanted to be part of it. It's I was obsessed with comics yeah. when I was a kid. I mean, I loved them. I grew up in the 60s. I was young in the 60s. Um, but at that time, uh, Peanuts in the newspapers was making it, you know, there was the, the original specials, the Halloween special, the Christmas yeah. special. Um, they were naming uh, moon flights, lunar landers after Snoopy and Charlie Brown. Like I think the, right. the mission before Apollo 11, Apollo 10, I think was Charlie Brown and Snoopy. Um, the, I mean, comics just were really happening in the 60s. Cartoons were happening. The Flintstones were big. Uh, Batman was on TV when I was six years old. And I, right. it blew my mind. I was like, that was one of the most exciting things I ever saw. I, I mean, the, the campiness of it completely went over my head at that age. But yeah, in fact, 
it made me wonder, like, when I grow up, is is it possible that superhero is one of the career choices you could pick? You know, right. you could be an architect or a policeman or a, yeah. or a Batman. Or a superhero. Yeah, yeah. Or Batman. So, yeah, yeah. I loved it. And, and of course, that that Batman is what actually really led me to find the, the newsstand and, and start buying comic books. I think the yeah. first one I bought was, a, I mean, I probably bought the first day uh, a Carl Barks, Donald Duck, uh, and um, a Batman comic. And I think yeah. I think it was the one, it was a Carmen Infantino cover where there was a clue on the cover and Batman was being lazy in the Batcave watching the Batman show. You remember that issue? Yeah, 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 yeah. I know the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that was like the first comic book I ever bought. Uh, wow, okay. So, wow. Uh, but, but just to... Just to briefly say, yes, I got I became obsessed with artists following their styles, you know. I mean, this was the first time you would they would actually name uh Jack Kirby. Uh, I, I apologize for the dinging in the corner there. I, I'm getting a lot of messages and I don't know how to stop that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little beyond my pay grade. Uh, but but all of a sudden, all of a sudden they, they were talking about these artists, Carmen Infantino or Jack Kirby. Um, uh, Don Heck, uh, Neil Adams, you know, a couple of years later, uh, I, I was, I, I became obsessed with following the styles of these different artists around, you know, trying to find the comic books. It wasn't like today's comic book stores, which are so amazing that you could just get every issue of every comic. I mean, back then, it was really random what showed up on the news. Sure. You might miss two or three issues in between, and 100%. you don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's interesting that you that you were following styles that young because uh I don't I don't think I I don't think I started to actually get that human beings did these until I was like 16. Right? Like I mean I knew that I knew that obviously someone must do them, but yeah. like I I I hadn't differentiated yet, you know, um uh even though comic books are all about style in many ways. I was I was I wasn't that young when I started Okay. I was uh, I was probably I was probably nine or ten though, because it was really Neil Adams yeah. who I started following when he was doing uh, Dead Man, and I didn't really follow Dead Man because the issues just were extremely difficult to come across, uh, yeah. even when they were being published. Yeah. But Batman, and he was doing Brave and the Bold, and I was like, what What is happening? What is this style? Uh, I mean, it was Neil Adams and. Kirby's Fantastic Four were the two things that like began to make my brain boil a little bit and, and get excited. And I, I did follow through. I know Neil was really heavily into you know doing work and up until about 72, 73. Yeah. And and I so I was 12 or 13, you know, middle school or something. Yeah. Like and I was really into that. I was I just I was obsessed with it. The other reason I was obsessed with comics, Brian, is that it was kind of a, it was really was more for kids. It was kind of a secret language sure. uh, back then in the 60s and 70s. And there they were talking to, I thought they were talking to us as kids. They probably weren't. They were probably just writing stories to get themselves excited. But I got from Charlie Brown, you know, they're talking about real emotions, embarrassment, humiliation on the playground at school. Yeah. Uh, humiliation at sports that's there was they nobody talked about kids psychology or with the kind of sure tortures we were going through sure. that, that was only in comics sure. and in 
Mad Magazine, and they were telling you, oh, don't listen to commercials. They're trying right. to make you feel bad about yourself and make yep. you buy this product. That was, that was truth. Yeah. So uh, I was obsessed, and I also felt it was enlightening. And that's why I, I knew I knew early on, I knew by the time, before I was 10, I knew that this was what I was going to do for the rest of my life. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that is, I, I love that. I, and I, and I know exactly the thing that you're talking about because, um, uh, well, so I, I don't remember who it was. I think it was Julie Schwartz who, who had the thing where, no, the readership turns over every three years. So you're always gotta, you've always gotta aim your comics at like the new, the kid, the kid who's coming yeah, in, you gotta them, aim it them right, fresh. Renew it, right yes. up their, their, their thing, you know? And then, and they then Stan, the thing that Stan did is that he figured out that he could talk <laughs> directly to us, you know? Like those soapboxes, you know? Like, like where you would just talk about current contemporary things that are happening in the world and make it... Stanley, Stanley and his soapbox was so important. So important yep. to comics. Uh, it was important to me as a reader to be talking to the person who was making these comics. Yep. I mean, I mean, uh, I mean, Stan probably shouldn't have taken credit as a writer. He was a brilliant uh, right. editor. Right. He, I mean, he was really, I mean, he was key when it came to like choosing talent and, yep. and, and, and he was a great editor and a great promoter. Um, I'm not so sure how much of a writer he really was. But a lot of that is in hindsight. And yep. um, did you read the new biography? I, I have not. No, I have not. No. It's um, it's really good. It's it's a, got a little bit of a knives out feeling to it. Right. But that's yeah. kind of how I felt about Stan anyway. So sure. I was I, I was just I was just talking to my manager um uh, about uh, the FF and I was like it's a seminal run you really need to read it but you know it's kind of dated like you know like just all the kind of you know anti communist stuff and like just all this like. The role oh, models, it's really like you know, Jack made it like just it's imagination exploding, imagination, you know. Yeah, is well, and Sue Storm being the wife who's like not getting enough attention is like right, so right, bewitched, right, or something. Uh, yeah, but 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 uh, you know, that's they were of that time, and for being of that time, they were somewhat forward, they were not somewhat forward, they were definitely heading in a new direction, right? yeah. I yeah. love that. And a lot of that, like I said, came from Kirby. So Yeah. So okay, so you say can I just can I just say uh please I wanna let I wanna pe let people know that you and I got into comics around the same time. You were a couple years before me. But we did we entered comics, we've known each other for a long time. We're we're yeah. talking like thirty years. Exactly. Uh, and uh, in those early days, I remember seeing you at every freaking show. That's true. Sure. Well, because a lot of the important shows were like, you know. In San Francisco and yeah. San Diego, yeah, uh, there were more than one in in the San Francisco Bay Area. Yeah, yeah. well, we uh, had ProCon, the early ProCon, you know, uh, the early ProCons. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, I just want to say that uh, I, I've I, th this guy has run a store with such integrity for so many years. Uh, yeah. I, I'm just kind of fun to t catch up. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, and I, you know, and it's it's what I love. I love comics, and I love talking about them, and I love. I, if I could, if I could give uh, people advice at those shows, I absolutely would. It's weird. I have no interest in going to a show now because they're not like those shows were then. You know, I mean, you could have those moments, right? But they're all about media now, you know, rather than about the actual form. 
you know. Well, um, back then the shows were they were small. I mean, some of them were. I mean, San Diego when I first went was still like 35, 40 yeah. of them. Yeah. Which is, I mean, now it's like one hundred fifty or yeah. more. Yeah. I mean, but I mean, forty thousand people. Yeah. That's still pretty yeah. big. That's a yeah. big show. I'll, I'll tell you the year. The year I decided. The year I decided that San Diego was uh, was basically done for me was the year that they made the remake of that uh, Time Machine movie with Guy Ritchie. Uh, it wasn't a very good movie. It was pretty obvious it wasn't going to be a very good movie. But they brought the Time Machine. What, what Guy Ritchie time machine movie? There was a time exactly, exactly, exactly. Which Guy Ritchie time machine movie? But <laughs> so so they but they brought the time machine into like the set, right? Like they brought the set into um, San Diego Comic Con, and it was larger than the Marvel or DC booths put together. And wow. that was the moment that I went, "We're done. It's, it's now. This is going to be a media show, and it's not a comic show anymore." You know? Yeah, it's um, a, yeah, it's it's. I'm, I'm like half and half on that. Like, um, yes, a lot of attention and uh, certainly the media covering Comic-Con yeah. was all about the movie stuff and the people in costume. But as far as like the comic book section, I mean, we were that size. We expanded a little bit in the early yeah. in the 90s and then then everything just blew out around us. But we didn't shrink. That's we true. Just, no, that's very true. We stayed the same size and, you know, we, I mean, people come in and they're still dressed like, you know, she or Thorn or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Vampirella. Yeah. Yeah. I could have old man-itis, but I'm not going to. It's all good. Oh, um, well, I'm already there, I think. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, okay, let's, 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 let's go back to you. Uh, so you say uh, you're 10 years old and you had already figured out that you wanted to make comics, which I think is fucking amazing, dude. Um, uh, so, so what did that look like as a teenager and as a young man going to college or whatever? I mean, did you? How did you approach like I want to do comics? Well, um, I, when I was young, I was like, okay, I I love I love peanuts. I got introduced to Pogo when I was nine. I think I was like in the fourth grade. And there was a, a Chuck Jones, Walt Kelly cartoon uh, that wasn't very good, but I, at nine, I loved it. It was a cartoon. Yeah. And the next day at school, there was a, a, a little girl, she's a little girl at that time, you know, my age, uh, named Tammy that brought in a, a pogo book from her dad's collection and gave it to me. I don't know if she got his permission. I, I still have that book. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> but I ha I held this this book, this Pogo book, and it was you know it was like this thick. It, I mean, the only thing you have to compare it to today would be like a Calvin Hobbes collection or something, or, or any anything, <laughs> a bone book. Sorry, um, but yeah, it was, it was this big thick book with these like drawings that were really you know the construction of the drawings. I didn't I didn't think about it as terms of construction, but I could tell that these were these were like good enough to be in a Disney feature film. Yeah, and it was the thickest, fattest comic book I ever saw, and that and it was the Pogo book, where something rippled through me, and I said, "This, I must do this." Now that being said, Brian, I didn't, I didn't have, a, I, I, I forgot that after a while. Sure, of course. Um, I got, you know, I went through, I got, you know, I got indoctrinated into high school, and um, it wasn't, you know, I. 
there wasn't much encouragement in art, let alone in comics. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, I think I think by the time I was a senior in high school, I'd, I'd already started to lose interest in comics. You know, I collected them when I was up to about the age of like 14, 15. Yeah. Um, and, and I was like thinking, well, what art skills can I use? I thought maybe I could go into animation. Right. And in the 70s, Disney was not in great shape. They were turning out the black hole and yeah. uh, Aristocats or whatever. Um, but I still thought that's that's probably where I should go because I love cartoons. I had a I had one art teacher who was I had, I had like three art teachers in high school and two of them <laughs> hated my guts or at least <laughs> I, it felt like that. Um, they failed me multiple times. But I had one art teacher who kind of got me. And I was talking to him one day and I said, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do for a living. I mean, it's, I guess I'm going to go to apply at Disney. And he said, don't do it, Smith. He said, you won't last a day there. <laughs> and what he meant was, is I just can't, I can't handle somebody telling me you got to, this is what you're going to draw today. And this is exactly what it's going to look like. It's exactly what you're going to do. Right. And he was right. And thank God I listened to him. Um, but that meant I was in free fall for a number of years uh, where I thought I, I tried to go into illustration. I worked um, I worked for a couple of newspapers and did ads and paste up, paste, paste ups. Um, I, 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 you know, I just working on, you know, crap jobs doing crap art, but mostly I worked in factories and yeah. on loading docks and stuff. Okay. So you, so you didn't go to, you didn't go to college to study art or anything? I, I, w I was, I did get a scholarship uh, from my high school. I went to Worthington High School in Ohio, near Columbus. And I got a scholarship, a one-year scholarship to go to the Columbus College of Art and Design, which is a, uh, it's a, it's a good school. It's a nationally known school. And they, sure. they however, at that time, they they had two programs. You could go into fine art or you could right. go into illustration. Right. And illustration and both of those were I thought, well, illustration, yeah, that's sort of like comic books, right? Kind of. Yeah. Uh, and I and I found the teacher who I thought would understand me the best. But when I was talking to him and I said, Yeah, I love to take anatomy because I want to do comics. Um, I just want to learn these skills, uh, how to tell comics. And he turned to me and I was quite surprised because I really kind of thought I had some kind of simpatico thing going on with this guy. And he just was like, comics are the bastard child of, <laughs> of newspapers and art. It's just junk. Get over it. You need to move on right now. You need to choose, boy. You need to choose what you're going to do. And it's not comics. And if you want to do comics, you need to get out. Yeah. And I, this was like right before Christmas break. I'd just been there this one semester, and I just turned around and I left. Yeah, and that that that's what about five years of working on loading docks after that. Wow, <laughs> wow. And what were you were you uh, were you like doodling at that? I mean, what were you doing that were that to to keep that muscle going or to keep the interest going? I, well, you know, I gotta say, like right around that time, right around my senior year. A couple of things happened that were very interesting to me. One was heavy metal came out. Yeah. Um, I think it was summer of 77 in my memory. That sounds right, uh, yeah. And this is the first time I saw Inky Bilal or Mobius. Exactly. Uh, or um, Corbin, 
in the yeah. American. This is the American version. Yeah, yeah. For modern, for younger people, it's not the heavy metal of today, which has got its good points. But this was this was a, an, an English version, an American version of a French language anthology of amazing artists who were doing adult fantasy uh, cartoons. And I don't mean adult like rated X, although sometimes. So there was plenty of rated X. There was yeah. plenty of, plenty of boobs. Um, but it was, but it was like, but it was for mature minds. It was, and this of course was, you know, the seventies. So there was yeah. lots of mind altering help while you're reading this. Yeah. And the other, there were two other things that happened that same summer. Um, and I'm sure you'll remember them. One was Star Wars came out. Right. Well, no, no, sorry. Star Wars came out. The other thing was just on a personal level, a buddy of mine was trying to get me to read Lord of the Rings for like four years. And I mm. finally read it. So I read the Lord of the Rings, saw Star Wars in yeah. the theaters and uh, started and buying metal. Kind of magazine. Yeah. 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 That's a trifecta there to blow your mind. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was gone. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so, uh, oh, to answer your question, so I, you know, I'm I'm going to work, and I, I worked in, uh, yeah, I worked in an ice cream factory. I worked in a bookstore on the loading dock, and I would at home. I would draw like what I thought would be these cool, uh, heavy metal esque type like stories. Uh, and I had a buddy, Jim Kemmerd, who was like a pal of mine, and he and I did an animation studio later. Uh, but he would help me, or we would do it together, and we would like work on these like kind of crazy, weird, I don't know, heavy metal-like stories with the bone characters, and that's where like the humans came in, like because you know back in heavy metal, you always had to have like a babe who was wearing a bikini, really? an inexplicably useless set of clothing, yeah. uh, that kind of thing. I think I even have a drawing somewhere of phone bone and a female, and it's in some crazy there's monsters attacking them and everything and she has like a guitar slung over her back i, uh, I was 18 what do i know yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so that's the kind of thing that just kind of kept the spark alive yeah so you've you've been you've been drawing the bones for uh like before you were 18 then is is what yeah, I'm i started i probably started when i was really really little like five okay years old. wow really yeah yeah and um and then, uh, but, but, and I was just doing, um, I, I draw all sorts of cartoons, like most people that draw comics do. Yeah. You know? In fact, most kids do, whether they stick with it or not. You draw little cartoon dogs or whatever. You, right. That's what you see on TV, little bugs bunnies. Um, and I drew little stories. The bones really stuck with me, though. I don't know, I don't really know why, but they just kind of, I melded with them. They, I, I enjoy them. And all three of the cousins, Phone Bone, Phony Bone, and Smiley Bone, are in these comics from when I was like 10 years old. They were just, they're terrible and they're not very well drawn. But no, no, sure, sure. The personalities are there. They're actually, they're pretty intact. So I don't know. I, I don't know when, I, like when I was in high school, I was, I just thought the bones were, you know, that's childish things to put away. Yeah. Somewhere um, in the, early 80s now, I graduated from high school in 78, but in the early 80s, I decided 
uh, and I'm excited now about heavy metal and the concept of Star Wars. I've seen all three Star Wars movies at this point, or I've seen two of them anyway. And I'm like, okay, I want to do something, and I want to take these Pogo Snoopy type cartoon characters, you know, the big nose, three finger, Bigfoot, traditional yeah. American cartoon characters that I was in love with when I was little, and meld them into this crazy Star Wars heavy metal Mobius world. Yeah. and kind of explore that and i thought that's just that for some reason i thought that's what i want to do and so sometime in the early 80s the ideas for bone began to come together wow how how early uh how young were you when you like had them named and such probably uh five or six wow so really so wow wow these are characters well, my dad my dad used to read mad magazine to me yeah, he and and my one of I love Spy versus Spy and Don Martin. Those are my two favorite things. Yeah. So Don Martin used to have these. Uh, he had this. He had a name. Phone bone was a name in the Don Martin character mm. uh, cartoons. But it'd be yeah. like it, it was just like a. It just was anybody. It just meant you know. Yeah. Mrs. Phone Bone or yeah. Phone Bone's Milk or Phone Bone's Deli or whatever. Uh, that's it. That was just a, a generic name he used everywhere. So. I had drawn this little character that kind of looked like a telephone receiver and that kind of led me to phone bone and I named him phone bone because I was only five or six, but it, it stuck with me and that just became his name. And then, then when I had to have other characters for him to talk to, they became other bones. So yeah. it was just a kid's, it was just a kid, nothing thing, but I went back to it when I was like 22 yeah uh, looking for something and i found something that was interesting to me yeah no absolutely i love that i i i adore that um so so how did we get from sort of you you having the idea of of putting the cartoon characters in their realistic world in the 80s to actually publishing in the 90s well um i met vijaya who is now my wife and has been my publishing partner for 30 years now and, and it was all kinds of awesome by the way i i had i had pitched to vijaya to be on camera and talk to us I, as well i i i i tried to talk her into it she didn't yeah. want to do it um, but yeah but you especially you you were there you 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 know that that we yeah were, we were a team yeah so a hundred percent you guys were a team you your success I mean, you're a great cartoonist. Don't get me wrong, but you would not have been as successful without Vijaya. That is clear. No, no, no. That's that, no. I 100 yeah. percent agree. Yeah. So, uh, but when I met Vijaya and we kind of were getting, you know, starting to get tight. This was in the early 80s. She, um, she was going to enroll at Ohio State, and I thought, well, you know what? I'm tired of working on loading docks and in factories and. I'm not a lifer in that world. Uh, so I'll, I, I hatched a plan. I'll go, she was going to go to Ohio State. I'll go to Ohio State also, but I'm going to try to get into the, uh, the, the student newspaper, the Ohio State Lantern. Yeah. Came out Monday through Friday and had a readership of like 50,000 every single day. I mean, everybody read the Lantern, everybody, faculty, staff, every student. I mean, that's, you just got one in the morning. That's just what you did. So I did. I, I had to be a journalism student in order to have my... Uh, so that's my major, was journalism. Okay. I, I'm not a journalist. 
But um, I mostly I mostly took racquetball and and fencing. <laughs> and, uh, uh, I didn't gra- I didn't graduate by the way. <laughs> I went for I went for four years and did uh, a a comic strip in the daily paper every single weekday for four years. Wow! I really learned my craft and I learned my, who my characters were. And yeah. this is where um, I I brought in I brought the bones and threw them out of their little world of Duckburg, which is kind of the kind of comics I done when I was a kid. Sure. And as like, oh no, they've been thrown out of Duckburg and all of a sudden they're in heavy metal, Star Wars, Brothers Grimm, European right. tales. Right. And so it was it was just I never I didn't really have a big story in mind, but I had like it's sort of like fish out of water gags every day. Yeah. But over the course of the four years I came up with the rat creatures and the dragon and Thorn yeah. and Grandma Ben and yeah. their characters and their personalities, their backstories all kind of came together. Yeah. Um, so after four years, I almost had enough credits to be a sophomore. But I didn't care because at that point I knew what the story was I wanted to do and I had to get to work on that. Right. And and uh, I, just because I'm curious, what's the experience of having to hit that daily deadline like? Is it... Um, it was... <laughs> it was um, well, it was... It was, uh, I would, I'd have to, cause I was still, I worked my way through college. I worked, yeah. I worked full time and I went to school full time, which meant around 10 o'clock at night, I had to do a strip for the next day. Right. Or you no, know, it wasn't for the next day, but I, I, understand. I had yeah. to turn it in the next day. Yeah. So, so I had like four hours from 10 to two to do a comic. And I, I was forced under extreme deadline circumstances and exhaustion and drinking coffee really for the first time in my life. <laughs> I felt somewhat, I felt like a grown up for some reason. Anyway, I know uh, kids drink coffee when they're like five. Uh, I had to figure out all the rules of comics. You know, like you have four squares, it's gotta be funny at the end. Yeah. But at the beginning, it's gotta recap where you were the day before and something new has to happen and then funny. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I didn't succeed every time and the readers would let me know uh, but I, ha- I began to have a real relationship with the readers i, I yeah. knew what was funny i knew what worked the stupid stupid rat creatures joke was originally in the lantern and i got a huge reaction from that so later when i would do the comic book i went back and i i i, I rescued some of those uh successful jokes and worked them into the story yeah 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 um, so, so what made you think that a comic was like financially sound idea? If you know uh, what I mean, right? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I mean, so I guess, okay, let me, let me actually back that up. Uh, uh, did you, did you, did you always intend to self publish or did you try to get other publishers to publish it first? Like what, how did, how did that bit happen? Uh, in a nutshell, my plan was to do a comic strip. Yeah. Uh, as, as I've mentioned a couple of times, I was a huge fan. I was obsessed with Peanuts. I was obsessed with Pogo. Yep. As I got older, I got obsessed with uh, Doonesbury. Uh, and so I wanted to do a comic strip. In the so you were thinking syndication then? In other I, words. Wanted to, I wanted to get Bones syndicated. Yeah. And I started in 
83, I think, 83 uh -huh. and 84, and with real sincerity, I, I was sending submissions to all the syndicates, Tribune yeah. Media, King Features, Universal yeah. Press. There was, there was, I don't know, I feel like there was like seven or eight of them. I don't really remember now. Um, and I got nibbles of interest, just enough to like pull me in, you know, keep me going. Uh, interesting story. Um, I was shopping Bone around at the same time that uh, Watterson was shopping Calvin and Hobbes around. Oh, okay. Uh, and they kept telling me, yeah, we love, we, we, yeah, they, they could see some potential in Bone. They really liked the bones, but they wanted to do, they wanted me to get rid of all the uh, fantasy stuff that I had in there, the heavy metal stuff. Right. Just do the bones in Boneville. And um, they were saying, because kids, we're looking for a kid's comic right now. We really want a kid's comic. We want to focus on that. So if you just get rid of all the, the fantasy stuff and just do the bones in Boneville, we think we'd have something. I just couldn't quite, I, had, I felt like I had some story in there I wanted to get out. I also had this idea that eventually the comic strip would end. I was going to do a continuity strip that would go on for about 10 years or so. I didn't know. But it was going to climax with an ending. So it would be a story with a beginning and a middle and an end. Well, that was a, that was a, that was a deal breaker for them. Right sure. Um, Did you, yeah, you pitched it to them that way? You, you, you said to them, like, this is going to end? Yeah. That wasn't even the big deal breaker. The real deal breaker was that uh, Walt Kelly was my hero. Mm. And he he owned his strip. And there was a when he signed it, he signed it in a little box with a copyright date, Walt Kelly. He yep. owned it. So there's no no question that I'm gonna if Walt Kelly owned his strip, yep. I'm owning my strip. So I would you know like absolutely it was a it was, that was a deal breaker for them and for me because sure. they had to own the strip. That was just the rules back then. Right. So, um, so it, it just didn't work out for me. So that was not really a nutshell, but uh, that was, no, no, that, that, was, was a, that was a, nut, that was a nutshell. So I was stymied at, we're talking about like 1984, 85. Uh, I, I did not, I was not going to do a comic strip. I had exhausted every syndicate and, they did not want it. They liked me. They wanted me to do something else, and I didn't want to do it. So that's where I was stuck mm -hmm. for a while. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then? I saw, opened up the newspaper one day and saw this whole spread. This was in the Columbus Dispatch, but it was like their arts magazine on the weekend. It was this big spread on this new book by a guy named Frank Miller called The Dark Knight Returns. Yeah, yeah. And it was, a, it was like, seriously, like, two to three pages about a comic book about yeah. Batman. Yeah. And I was just like, what the fuck am I looking at? I, this is not, this is, I don't understand. How can this be? So I went, um, I did know that there was a comic book store. In fact, it was one of the, one of the very early comic book stores was in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, run, you might remember Rosie who ran Monkey's Retreat. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I went to the Monkey's Retreat found, um, I think it was on the third, the second, second or third issue of the four issue uh, yeah. miniseries of Dark Knight and went home and read it, blew my mind. Right. I didn't know a comic book could tell a story in that way. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it was it was like watching a film. Everything moved. Um, 
the the way you know i mean the, just the choices he made blew my mind and i i thought and and then when it finished after four issues i was like beginning middle end this medium can do yeah that. yeah uh at the same time while i was going in to buy those i discovered you know they're all the, there's all the same stuff i remember from when i was a kid everything from archie to spider-man and superman and i think crisis crisis was going on sure at that sure, sure yeah yeah uh, I, but what drew my attention was um, the section where there was uh, hate and uh, love and rockets and right. Cerebus. Uh, yeah. this was, and this, I, I bought issues of all these things. And the, I got like two issues of Cerebus. I remember they were the ones where he was climbing a wall, I think. I, I, time gets a little shaky looking back at that. But it was like the the there was like a giant thing that was the Pope or something. I can't remember. Huh. No, 80, so 80, uh, around those time in the eighties, it would have to be, it would have to be the early part of high society. You're probably thinking of uh, where moon roach uh, dropped statues on people's heads. That's, that's what it's okay. gotta be. Cause he, he the be. climbing, the climbing thing was like, was like five years later in the eighties of that, of, of Sarah. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Well, like I said, I, like I said, I, my memory is a little, yeah, no, no, it's all good. But I, was, I, was a long but what I saw ago. was these boutique publishers, small publishers yeah, yeah, yeah. that I'd never heard of, were doing black and white comics, uh, and um, and uh, so and they were amazing. I mean, Love and Rockets, what? Uh, hate, just this is it was underground comics, but they were calling it alternative comics or something. Yeah. But to me, it just looked like this is sort of like the next movement from the underground and in, in art and the talent, Brian, which you, I know you remember. I was like, I remember this was better than anything else I'd ever seen in comics. There was no other period in comic books like that moment. Yep. Uh, and it was equivalent in my mind because my, my knowledge was based in comic strips, newspaper strips. And I think the golden age of newspaper strips had a high bar, and I think these guys were starting to yeah. go beyond that. There was yeah. so many comics I'm not even mentioning. The Tick was very, very funny. Uh, I mean, the, the art wasn't quite as advanced as like Jaime Hernandez or, the other, or those bros, but uh, it was so funny. Yeah. And and Cerebus was self-published. Yep. And so was the Turtles. Yep. So I'm going, this is when I'm starting to think, oh, I can't get syndicated. They clearly made it. They made it absolutely crystal clear that I will never be syndicated. Yeah. And so I started to think maybe self-publishing. If these guys can do it, maybe this is something I can do and and still maintain some control over what I'm trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, you had only done strips up to that point, uh, which is yeah. a very different thing than telling a, a twenty or. 30 page story, whatever it was uh, for Bone One. It was 20, um, 23, 22 to 24 every year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how, how did you, how did, how did you make that jump? How did you? I, I, Brian, it was just pure ignorance is bliss. I just, jumped. <laughs> I just jumped. I went, okay. Uh, I had to do a little bit of research just to figure out, like, okay, basically, I see, you know, they have color covers. They have black and white interiors. Uh, uh, you know, like I did a little research to figure out, like, you know, everybody draws them 
double twice up. Right. Uh, I knew how to. I knew how to. I knew how to draw an ink. That was not a problem. Um, and I learned a very important skill when I was working at the uh, college newspaper, The Lantern, was I knew how thin a line, how delicate a line I could get away with, and still uh, it would still reprint on newsprint. That was a that was a skill that I, that yeah. four years really taught me. So yeah. I, I was ready, I was ready to do the artwork, but the story, or just the timing of the book, was absolutely foreign to me. And I just jumped in, and uh, it was great. It was great. It was the I couldn't believe it, because after four years and more, because I spent another two years of like doing batches of months of strips for all these different syndicates. I did all, I was like, I knew how to tell a joke, but I, instead of having to cram it into four panels, yeah. I could take a whole page. Yeah. I could take three pages yeah. or you know, whatever I needed to tell a joke. And it just felt very natural. And I, I felt like someone who was breathing air for like the very first time. I was just, Wow. Well, maybe to mix metaphors, it was more like I was just in the open ocean and I could swim free. It was great. Yeah, I, I felt I felt quite at home. Wow, I know I love I love that I love that too. Especially because you know going from the as you described it, first the, a quarter of what you're doing is recapping what happened before, and you always have to end on a joke. So you yeah. really only have two panels to, to tell a story. Yeah, <laughs> right. I, I always felt like you could, it could be it could be a joke or it could be a cliffhanger. I felt like you could those were sure sure sure. But yeah, but yeah, your your mechanics were pretty. Your toolbox was limited. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and to and so and it, it impresses me how how the early bone really works as a as a page, right? Like because I, I I'm assuming that in those early days you you didn't quite understand the craft of it. Right, like of, of what a page was yet, right? Because you were still figuring it out, or is that, or, or you just yeah. a savant? Yeah. yeah, no. Um, what what guided me was um, my idea of a, of a joke ending. I I, I kind of treated the page, especially in the early days, as like this is a moment. This is like yeah. a strip. Yeah. Uh, so I, I wasn't stuck to four panels. I could have six, or I could have two. Yeah. Depending on what what worked. Yeah. Um, but 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 I kind of felt like at the end of the page, complete a thought, equivalent to like what a strip would have been. Mm -hmm. uh, I, it wasn't strict though. I didn't have to do that. Uh, but I found that it worked, and I definitely when you were on the right hand page, the odd number page, that you were going to do a page turn. Yeah, I definitely was always always aware of that. I still am to this day. Yeah, uh, I am aware of that. That page turn has to be. You know, has to be something that intrigues, uh, and, and and then you turn it, and then the this is sort of like the strip thing. Um, I need to remind you real quick where you just were. Yeah, Even though you just turn a page. That's all you did is turn a page, but you, your concentration just had a slight blip of a break, and so I I I got to pull you back in in that first upper left panel. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. How long did it take you to, to figure that out? I mean, did you figure that out from issue uh, it was, one? Or? It, was, it, it was a growing process. It was a learning yeah. process. I, 
I realized pretty quickly, even in probably within the first issue, that this is a new thing. And I'm going to, I need to learn how to play with all this stuff. Yeah. And, uh, I imagine too it's different the first time, and tell me if I'm wrong, when you're when you're drawing the boards versus when you when you get that comic book in your hand and you're looking at it and going, oh, this is this is an object now. It's very different. I I have a one strange editing skill, uh, and that is I can I can kind of I go over the comic over and over again, you know, because first you write it as little thumbnails mm -hmm. and eventually you get to the point where you've got it out on boards. But I try to do it. I don't do one page and then the next page I go, I lay out all 22 pages. Yeah. I, I know what they are. I get first, I get the lettering in because I need to know how big, how much space is going to be taken up by the lettering. Yeah. And then I start putting in, putting in the artwork. Uh, and I usually refer to my little thumbnails to know what the, what the staging is and all that. Yeah. But, um, but then there's this process of going, I, I would lay all 20, 22 pages out on the floor or on a couch or whatever. And I would just read it over and over again. And usually I'm, I'm inking the faces first on every page. Okay. Uh, and then you start inking the rest of the characters on every page. And I do that because at the end you're running out of time. Yeah. And I want all the acting and the character, all the acting in the faces is done. Yeah. I know it works. I know it's good. Um, and then I can blow off the backgrounds a little bit. If I'm, uh -huh, if I'm really, uh -huh. if I, you know, if FedEx is standing on the step, I can just put a black background. In <laughs> Don't laugh, man. That happened more than once. No, no. I'm, I'm laughing because it happened. That's, that's right, why I'm right, laughing. Right. So, um, but what I was, but what I was getting at was that that as you go through these twenty-two pages over and over and over again, you're re-editing, yeah, the whole time, and and it changes uh, a penciled uh, phone bone jumping off of a, a, a over a log or something. Um, it has a different pacing than when you start to ink him, because as it becomes a little more solid. I, I assume you know a lot of this stuff I'm saying, Brian, and I I think you're coaxing me to say it for people watching but okay. as you start inking it it um it becomes more solid and your eye starts to slow down when you have more solid things to look at when yeah. and there's a black inked log you stop and look at that and it changes the pacing so you have to be aware of that so there's all sorts of little editing you want to speed things up oh i slowed your eye down because i had an extra word balloon there take that word balloon out it's not important it's more important that you get to the next panel don't stop and read a balloon. Go. Yeah, yeah. So that would go on for the entire two months in between each issue while I'm working on it. Wow, yeah, that's I, that, yeah. I, mean, I, I, I do, I do know it, but I only know it intellectually because I don't, I don't draw comics, and it, uh, and it's a skill I, I frankly don't understand, and, <laughs> and I, um, uh, and I, I love hearing people talk about it because, because I don't understand it. You know, uh, uh, but I get it. I, I understand. I mean, I, I understand the intellectual process of it, but the um, that friction, I don't know. I, I, well, the, I, well, the next step of that is that it, it's printed in, in the book. Yeah. And you said earlier, this is this is my personal reading copy. It's very yeah. beat up. Yeah. Of bone number one. Yeah. Uh, it, it's pretty rough. It's pretty rough. But and the pages are all yellow. Yellow. Yeah. Yeah. 
Love it. But once this, the, the day this showed up in a box was, of course, as wonderful as you think it would be. Um, but I, I was able, I was never in love with what I did. I was able to read this as if I didn't write it. And that's why later when I would collect the books in uh, trade paperbacks, or we yeah. call them graphic novels now. Yeah. But when I would collect them, every time I would go back to print, I would I would try to improve them like that 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 joke didn't quite read uh, or I hated that hand yeah. I'll redraw that hand my Jack Kirby hand yeah, yeah. Um, so I I, I I I was I never was in love with what I did I was always trying I had a critical eye it wasn't until after what 12 13 years that we did the one volume edition right I brought my props with me yeah 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 this was when, when I did the final book and collected it all together, that's when I was done uh, inking. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's when I was done. That's when I was done writing and tweaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Did it, it did, and it didn't change again with Scholastic and the color edition? Not really. I mean, yeah. I might have changed one or two little things. Hey, can we, right. can we take a quick break? Can we just... Uh, oh, yeah, sure. All right. Let's do that. Take I just need break. to take a quick break. I'll be right back. Do it. Do it. Do it. I'll, I'll vamp. I'm vamping. Yeah, so uh, so that's Jeff Smith talking about his process. We're going to take some uh, questions here, I think, because Jordan was getting the piece of paper to tell me that there were questions. So um, if you have a sensible question for Jeff, or but make it a question that you don't think I'm going to ask, all right? Because I I'm, I'm probably going to ask your question. Honestly, uh, you can you can you can trust me. I'm going to ask your question. Um, but you know, ask it here on the side. Um, as a YouTube or a Facebook uh, comment. You know, the uh, the Graphic Novel Month Club, um, uh, I just, for all you people who are watching, maybe this is the first time you're watching, every month uh, we pick three different books. Um, we, pick, we pick a book that's aimed, it's a brand new book aimed at, at kids, middle readers. Um, we pick a brand new book that's aimed at adults uh, that was newly released that month. And then we pick a classic graphic novel, which could be anything from the whole history of comics. Um, and, uh, and so this is the classic club that we're on. Uh, that's why we're talking, uh, to, to Jeff Smith. Uh, you're putting, you're putting up the questions, Jordan. What are you, what are you doing? What are you doing, man? Um, and, uh, um, yeah. And I think it's a pretty cool program. Uh, uh, it's, it's a reasonable fee every month and you get a curated graphic novel that is, uh, being picked by me and my staff who know a lot about comics and who love comics. Hopefully, Hopefully this, uh, the, the, the love of comics is getting um, communicated across here. Um, and um, uh, the worst part is, is I know that Jeff's going to pee and I also have to pee and I feel like I should, I should go do that. But then we have dead air. No, I can't, I can't have dead air. <laughs> do you, do you, Zoe, do, we, do, you, do you want to talk on air? No, you don't want to talk. <laughs> yeah, she said, go leave the camera. It's fine. Just have dead air. It's totally cool. Oh, yeah, it is all good. It is all good. Um, but but anyway, I, so the, the the reason that I'm that this is my PBS moment, right? Is um, is uh, uh, join the clubs, and then that's what keeps the store alive, and what keeps paying my staff. Because you know we had this little pandemic thing, which kind of messed everything up, and uh, and business is not back to normal in San Francisco yet because we're a tourist town and there aren't any tourists yet, and things like that. And uh, and we'll get you really really good books, and then along with it, we'll get you really good conversations with people, and then we'll get you things like this. This is a 
a, a special book plate that Jeff did just for, for this book and this edition. Um, and it's signed. It's personally signed by him at the bottom. Like it's not, that's not printed onto the art. He hand signed those and, and it's an original piece of artwork. And you know, it's even, you can see it's dated 2021. That's awesome. It's awesome. So the whole, the whole, the whole program's awesome. So join, uh, I, I hope he's coming back. I, I feel like he's standing off to the side waiting to see when I run out of steam. Um, no, 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 I'm not doing that at all. <laughs> oh, all right. All right, all right. Sorry about that. All right. No, no, it's all good, man. It's all good. I uh been there, done that. <laughs> cool. Uh and we're just getting started. That's the fun part, too. Um Okay, so so so, how did you figure out how to publish the comic, or was that all Vijaya's work? No, no, it was uh, it was both of us. I mean, okay. I did a lot of the our initial groundwork. Uh, yeah, I will say that um, a crucial moment was when I kind of was falling in love with this idea of doing Bone as a comic book in the direct market. Mm -hmm. uh, and I had, I had already started to do the research. Back then, you had to actually go to the library. Mm -hmm. um, I think I visited a, a Capital City Distribution Center because there was one in like every city back yep. in the 90s. Um, and every I big city, that. but yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, not every city, but you yeah. know, a lot of cities. Yeah. So uh, I, so I, I had started to piece together, you know, the distribution system. Uh, there were like a. Uh, I want to say like 11 distributors that, back that then. That sounds comics. about right at that time. Yeah, like Comics Hawaii, yep. uh, Friendly Franks, and yep. uh, all that stuff. So there was like 11 distributors. They all had a catalog. So I figured out I figured out this the way comics got into the catalog. I figured out how they got into the stores and figured out how the retailers um, got them, uh, yeah. that they were non-returnable, all that, all that inside baseball stuff. Uh, but but Vijaya, when I when I said I really I, I'm serious about this, I want to do it. And Vijaya, she loves cartoons as much as I do. We've always, I mean, we we could speak in cartoons. I mean, we can Bugs Bunny lines come out of our mouth or Simpsons lines, you know, all the time. Um, and but she said, okay, if you're serious about this, you have to write a business plan. And yeah. she said a real business plan, like that we could take to the bank. And show a banker, and he will give, give us money because of what you wrote. Yeah, that was. I can't stress to anyone who's thinking about doing something like this, in any venture, how important that is, to to go learn how your industry works, how money flows, where it comes, where it goes, how yeah. long it takes to do that. Yeah. Uh, all those things. Um, I had to fit into basically it felt like a Jenga tower to get from me drawing bone on my kitchen table to getting on the store shelf. Yeah. Uh, there's so many pieces and parts and I needed to know how much time it would take to do just the covers. There was no Photoshop back then. So I had to do the artwork for the cover was one thing. And then it had overlays. Like, yep. on, like onion skin tracing paper with the logo on it and the number and my name and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, the price. Uh, you had to have you had to have a, you had to have a total understanding of how long it would take you to do your book, get it into the system, and get money back for it so you could pay the printer. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, you, and, and to understand that there might be a little bit of money left over. Yeah. And that was, if she hadn't done that, I doubt I'd be talking to you today, Brian. Right. Because that was, uh, that's how we figured out how to do it and uh, make it happen. So then it was a question of doing the books. And let me skip ahead a little bit. I, I had agreed with Vijaya that I would do this for one year, six books, do them on a bi-monthly schedule, which is, which is what I remember uh, most, uh, most independent books were doing at that time. Yep. And I believed I could do that. And I did for a long time. It was at the end where I started to slow down. But in the beginning, I, I held that up. I had pretty much did five or six issues a year. Yeah. And the first four issues started at this level, which was not very high. I think it was like 1,500 right. copies and went down for the first four issues. Right. And I told Vijay, if at issue six, there's no, we don't have some reason to hope or to go forward, uh, then I'll just quit and I'll go, I'll go back to animation or commercial art. And when the third issue hit, well, the, the fourth issue was already done and was in the pipeline. The third issue hit, I started to get uh, letters from people uh, who are in the industry, uh, people yeah. that worked at Marvel. Uh, Tom Brevoort sent me a letter. I didn't know who he was at the time. Right. Uh, Charles Vest sent me a letter. Wow. Um, and again, these are not people whose names I knew because I was from, I knew, ask me anything about newspaper strips. And uh -huh. So I was this. I only knew like I knew a couple names like Dave Sim and uh, I'd heard of Neil Gaiman, uh, but I had not yet at that point. I had not really read. I'd read like two issues of Cerebus and I'd read no Sandman at that point. Yeah. And then I got a phone call from a, a guy in Toronto, Mark Asquith, who had a show called Prisoners of Gravity. Yeah, that was a great show. It was a good show, and and he, again, this was like reading about Dark Knight in the newspaper. I was like, what? There's a TV show about comic books? Yeah. And he wanted to talk to me. Uh, he didn't want me to be on the show or anything at that point. Uh, <laughs> but, he was just, but he just wanted to say, I, I read the first three issues, and I just want to encourage you and tell you that I'm super excited. And he sent me a VHS tape of a show of President of Gravity. He says, watch it, watch it all the way to the end. And I watched it all the way to the end. And at the very end, he's interviewing Neil Gaiman, this kind of guy who I'm starting to read a lot about in the Comics Buyer's Guide with the Sandman book. And somebody had given him, probably Mark Asquith, had given Neil the first three issues, and he read them while he was sitting in an airport waiting to get on a plane or something. Yeah. And, um, and he gives this huge, he goes, this book is great. I love this book. You should read it. And I, Vijay and I almost, I, we probably did. We probably did like a complete plop out of the frame uh, thing. And that was uh, one of the things that gave me the courage to keep going, even though the sales had been dropping. So right, and my, my memory is around that same time, around three or four, I, I remember you saying at one point that your sales were down to like 600 copies or 800 yeah. copies. Like you yeah. were... You were at break even at that point. You, it was not. Yeah, like, we not were making just barely break even. I mean, yeah. there was no profit. We were just yeah. in the printer. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was scary, and I was starting to think I might have to get realistic about it. But then, 
Neil said that, and then at the same time, number four got a tiny little blurb in the back of a comics journal. Yeah. Uh, and and then um, Charles Vess called me, uh, and out of the blue, he got he got my number from Mark Asquith, and he said, "Are you going to go to San Diego this year?" And I said, "What's San Diego? That's Comic Con." <laughs> and I said, "What's San Diego?" He goes, "Yeah, go. he goes. Oh man, you got to go. Everybody goes." If you if you can get yourself out there, and he gave me the dates and everything, you can sit. You can have half my table. You can sit there. So I went, uh, and I met so many people. I I I I'm overwhelmed. I was overwhelmed. I I I want to say like that. Like in those days, Brian, everybody was in the same hotel, right? Yeah, just one hotel. So we're all in the double tree or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, and you know, there's Jaime Hernandez. Yeah. There's, there's uh, Neil Gaiman. Oh, we were, then after that, I went to WonderCon and I met Neil Gaiman and I met uh, Frank Miller. Yeah. And I'm just, and they they actually, you know, came up to me and bought me a beer and clapped me on the back. So even though my sales had kind of were really shitty, <laughs> I was I was getting enough of enough kind of encouragement that I'm like, and Vijay agreed. Um, let's go. Let's go another year. Yeah. And then of course. It, around issue eight, things just like blew up. Yeah, because well, I mean, a lot of it is too. It's the way the comic book retailers order, right? Like we, um, uh, it takes us three or four issues to figure out what the sales are, and then oh wait, people might actually like this. Let's order more. But because we're ordering two issues in advance, it, it there's like a lag to it before I, we I actually mean, I, catch it up. I, you know, I, I I never wanted your job, man. <laughs> That was because those catalogs are they're just they're they're overwhelming. Yeah. So much in so much like color yeah. and loudness. Yeah. And there were like we said like eleven of them back then. Although some of them were real thin. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was yeah, back no, then. That was, now, now they're like yeah. so much thicker, and now everybody's got like five covers on every comic book, and uh, it's just like. Oh, ADD. I can't. I, you know, that's why, uh, that's why we sell more graphic novels these days because they're easier to deal with, honestly. Yeah, um, and, a higher, and a higher profit point. Higher yeah. Point. Yeah. 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 And, uh, yeah. And so, and then it started going crazy and you started actually like doubling in sales every issue or something, right? Yeah. No, that was exactly right. And I was talking with Billy Tucci. Mm -hmm. He, uh, He's the one who talked me into doing a Kickstarter for this for my next project. Too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it, so he had me on as a podcast, and he was he was kind of reminiscing or re remembering, you know, the '90s, and we we're it's sort of like this. This is kind of fun. I'm I'm enjoying this. By the way, I am too. Like we're talking about this is this was there was so much happening, um, but he he termed it this way. He says, "Do you, he says Do you remember the moment?" He says. When when Bone took off, he says, because it felt to the rest of us like it was a light switch, like it just went on. And I said, Yeah, nobody's ever really talked to me about that before, but it did just go on like a switch. And it, it, I almost didn't have time to like process it because yeah. I was always chasing the deadline to get the book out, and there was all these other things. And by then, of course, Vijaya had become my true full-time she was always my partner and it always helped me but by that point she left her day job and was yeah. my full-time partner yeah 
Uh, and but it was there was so much going on, and all of a sudden it did feel like a light switch went on, and it felt like um, almost like the cover of Bone with the spotlight coming down. But it was everybody was all of a sudden turned to look at you, and, and I, I never really like articulated that before. But all of a sudden everybody wanted, you know, trading cards, T-shirts, pins. Right. Uh, artwork for all this stuff. Uh, right. All of a sudden, um, San Diego uh, Comic Con had the. They used to have that um, pro. I don't remember what they called it, but it was the pro night, like Wednesday yeah. or something or yep. Thursday. Yep. I don't remember. But they asked me to do a piece of art, and I brought. Uh, this is this is not the poster, uh -huh. but they asked me to do an exclusive poster for just the retailers yeah. in '94. Yeah. That was a big, big deal. Yeah. Um, uh, all of a sudden, everybody knew who I was, and it was yeah. exciting. Um, it, it was just, it, it really was exciting. I can't. Yeah. I can't, and I, I you know, the, the thing about that time that I, I think really gets lost today is there was a genuine movement then that creators could actually benefit from their own artwork right? Yeah. Like you could work in Marvel and DC and you'd make more money probably. I mean, at a point you- In the short term, yeah. Right? Uh, you'd get well, a- Well, you might have benefits. You, you know? at least have insurance back right. then. Uh, but, but, but I remember as a retailer really feeling like my job was to help you guys figure out how you could own the work and make money from it for the rest of your life, right? Like, like it- and and it happened as a movement, right? You know, yeah. there was there was a good thirty or forty cartoonists sort of in that movement to make it happen, and then it all kind of petered out all at once. Uh, well, uh, well, wow, boy, summarizing this. Uh, at some point, it became the self-publishing movement. Yeah, I mean, self-publishing obviously had existed. There was. Oh, sure. All, all sorts of self-publishers. There was, and of course, there was Cerebus and ElfQuest and yeah. the Turtles with the Mirage comics. But at some point, there was this, it became a movement. And I always felt it was kind of spontaneous. I, I, I don't think there was like a manifesto that I was ever aware of. Yeah. Other than like, like Scott McCloud discussing, you know, broad, the broad virtues of. Sure. Uh, comics and owning your own work. Uh, but absolutely, I do remember spending many, many nights in Dave Sims' suite. Yeah. At whatever whatever city we were in, Dave always yep. rented the penthouse. Yep. And we would all go up there and hang out, and we would talk about comics all night till the sun came up. And we talked about, that's all we talked about. And one of the big concepts was how do we how do we, you know, because how do we sell our books like you would in a bookstore so that you don't you don't take issue number 12 down and put it in a long box when issue 13 comes out. Yep. You keep it up there like a bookstore, like, yep. you know, like the Lord of the Rings or Huckleberry Finn or Moby Dick or whatever. And 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 it was really important to everybody that I want to make money on bone here's okay here's my first issue of bone there's here's the first page of bone there it is there's the first page of bone well here 
30 yeah. years later, yep. I'm still selling this book. Yep. And there's that first page again. Yep. I'm still making I'm still making money. I'm still making yes. money off of that drawing I did 30 years ago. Yep. So and that was we we talked about that. That was a that was a real concept that we believed in and we really wanted it to happen. And I, I do remember the core of that group was Dave, me, Colleen, yep. uh, Larry Martyr, yep. uh, Kim Veach, Steve Bissett. Yep. Uh, there were lots of others, but those were the guys who intellectually we were Scott McLeod, even people that weren't entirely self-published. Scott McLeod, Neil Gaiman was there and all those things. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. And, there were, and there were retailers like you. Yep. Uh, the Rory. In they, they were part of this um, this idea yep. that there's a new way to sell comics, there's a yep. new way to, to to for the ownership to go, all that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. No, they were it was it was heady and exciting times. I remember I remember many of those conversations very well. And uh, and and the, the but the thing the thing that strike that all these years later, right, you're the only one of that group who is is still is still benefiting from that system in in that way, right? Well, like, yeah, probably yeah, probably in some. I I didn't mention Terry Moore. Uh, oh yeah, no Terry, there. right? Sure, yeah. He, Terry, Terry, Terry was there at that time, though, and yeah. Terry is also still completely yeah. benefiting yeah. from that same system. Probably yeah. he and I are the the two left standing in some ways, but I yeah. mean, Colleen is you know she is. She is still turning out award-winning work. Oh, oh yeah. absolutely, but but it's not you know, distant soil is not a thing that particularly sells yeah. anyone I, I know, and I still knows about anymore in a way. You I know, know. I, I still uh, tyrant not in print. That. You know, I was I was talking to Bissette about this. Like, let's get tyrant back in print. That book should sell till the end of time. You know, um, yeah, yeah, but that that's just that just you know runs with the individual. You know, the artist. Yeah. The artist is still an artist. <laughs> yeah. No, no. I, I believe me. I understand. I just, uh, I've always been, I've always been disappointed that that more of you didn't continue to make that step for the rest of your lives. And and you know, one of the one of the the ongoing themes of this show is that I am, you know, I'm genuinely worried about a lot of cartoonists today who are, um, you know, who they who they're giving up a lot of their uh, their work. Um, you know, for a for a for a, a book advance that that will barely earn out, and then they're they're not going to do comics, right? Like they're not. I, I I don't know, man. You're you're in a such a rarefied position that that you still own the underlying parts of your work. You know, um, yeah. that's because of Walt Kelly. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Walt Kelly. Thank you, Walt Kelly. Yeah, no, I, I think I think that's fantastic, and I think you know it's the thing that everybody should strive to do because because uh, yeah. So it's, it's, um, it's, it's definitely the road less traveled, and it's not easy. Uh, you you do have to have a support system like yeah. Jaya was has been an amazing partner. Well, actually, uh, so maybe so maybe that's the thing that that separates you and Terry from everybody else. It might be. Uh, because right? Robin is absolutely his his fifty fifty partner. She is right there. Uh, literally, last time I was at their house, their their studios, their, her desk and his desk are in the same room. Yeah. Now, Jay and I, 
we've decided that there would be a murder suicide if that was the situation. But so we have our so we have separate rooms, but they are they are literally right there and they make every decision together. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Here what? Here's what I here's what I think I want to draw today. Yes, Terry, that's a great idea. Let's do that. I mean, they are right there together. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the same um, you know, who I I just reconnected with. Um, Billy Tucci and his wife Deborah, and um, Francisca and Brian Polito. Yeah, I hadn't talked to them in. Uh, well, I mean, I'll see them at you know San Diego and stuff because sure, we're sure, all sure. in the pavilion. I would always see them, but uh, we really kind of connected over um, over podcasts and Zooms just in the, like the last year or so. Yeah, and they're doing Kickstarter, but uh, we'll talk about that later if we have time. Yeah, uh, but those both of those. They still sell a lot of comic books. They still sell uh, big numbers, and those those women are as important to that team as at, are at least as important. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that partnership of having someone else who has your back, you know, um, because you know a lot of artists have artist brain, and and they don't have business brain, you know. I have no idea what you're talking about. What what day of the week is this, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> is there a deadline? I, uh, <laughs> I have friends. Most of my friends in real life aren't really have nothing to do with comics, and yeah. I have one friend who just loves to just real quick. I'm like, what day is it, Jeff? And I'm like, is it a weekday? <laughs> I don't know. Well, you know, if it if it helps, I know what day of the week it is because because it's New Comics Day. Right. And my whole life is like, is it Wednesday? Is it <laughs> so, Wednesday? Is today Wednesday? So, you know, and it, today is Wednesday, so it works out that way. Um, oh, wow. uh, you, did, you did this on New Comic Book Day. You yeah, have a good staff. It just, yeah, I do have, I have, I have an awesome staff. I could not do this without the awesome staff. It's, you have, two, you have two, two shops too. I, well, yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I love one though. I, I love one a lot. The and the other one I have. So, well, you you laugh, but <laughs> stop. <laughs> if you love yeah. us so much, the other store is going up. If you love us so much, why don't you marry? Yeah. Well, no, because I, you know, because there was a store that was going to go out of business, and so and so I didn't want it to go out of business, and so you know, I have another store because I didn't want that store to go out of business, as oh, opposed to this one, right? which I, you know, I built this with my blood, sweat, and tears, you know. But I don't, I don't know that story. What store did you buy? Uh, so it's a store called Comic Outpost. Um, uh, it's uh, it, it's it's a store out on Ocean Avenue. It's like on the south side of the city. It doesn't really matter. That's a, okay, that's well, a different interview. That's a totally all different. Right, interview. All right, all right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> so um, so uh, did the like like when the first collection came out, uh, which is which is this book, but not not this version of it because this is the color version. Um, did that did that like change the game? Yeah, I, un, unbelievably because uh, the the comic book kind of picked up around the cow race, which was around issues eight to ten. Yeah, and 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 I was preparing uh, part of our part of the business plan that Vijay and I crafted included collecting um, each year's comics into a, a trade paperback so yeah. that people could follow the story. Because I, as I mentioned earlier, I always want to do one story that would have an ending, a beginning, yep. a middle, and an end. 
Um, so, it, but it was, it's fun to look at my 1989 business plan or whatever, whatever it was, where I, 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 to the banker, I said, we're going to collect them in trade paperback collections or graphic novels. I had a quotation <laughs> mark. Um, so, I, so, so, it, again, it, there was a moment where things were kind of working together where it was taking off in with readers, with, with retailers, with the critics and other cartoonists were saying great things about it. At the same time, that was, that was when both the cow race was, that was all happening. And I was preparing to come to San Diego with that first book. Yeah. It was in black and white and had a different cover and I published yeah. it, not scholastic. Yeah. But I showed up, and I believe that was '93, uh, I think, and yeah. it, I, I, people were waiting for me. I mean, people were waiting for this. They now had heard about it because of the cow race and read about it in the CBG, and uh, even Wizard was covering Bone, which I never understood, but I was grateful. Um, People, I, this was the first time I ever experienced like craziness. There, I had one helper who who would just help me ship stuff, and he went he went on the road with me to San Diego. He lived, we lived in the Bay Area at that time. Yeah, and um, we we set up at a little table. I we didn't have a booth or anything, and there was just a mob. There was just a mob. We didn't understand how to even control like have lines or anything. And I just remember, I've told this story many times, but uh, I'll tell it again because it's it's ridiculous. There was just, I remember I was standing there and I'm looking out and there's just this wall of people like four or five deep. And people are reaching past people's shoulders with wads of money in their hand. <laughs> and and uh, I'm trying to like... Like my my uh, helper, he's he he was like he loved money. He thought that was so cool. He's like he's like getting his money in, and he's kind of keeping track of like, okay, get, you got to sign that guy's book. You got to sign that guy's book next. And then I'm I'm trying to sign and draw a little picture and everything, and it was crazy. And we went home at the end of the day, and we just had I I never I worked on loading docks, dude. I mean I had minimum wage. Yeah. This I never had rolls of money. Yeah. Jammed in my pockets. And we would go back, we'd go back to the hotel room and we'd throw it out on the bed. This is in our pockets. We didn't even have we didn't even have a shoebox or what were we thinking? And and it was so much fun because Garrett, his name was Garrett Chin. Uh, he was really great. He was my uh, first helper for a couple of years. I mean, he was just he was like phony bone. He's like throwing the wads of money up and it's dropping on his head. And we're like, whoa, we can't believe this. It was so much fun. Um and I actually, it, yeah, so that was really a game changer. And I think that might have been the year that I started winning some Eisner Awards, which Neil predicted. Right. He told me, he said, he said you're going to have your name on a piece of wood this year. Yeah. Which meant carved on the plaque. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I knew what you meant. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no. And, and what, you ended up winning 11 Eisners? Is that right? Yeah, over the course of Bone, yeah. 14 Harveys? Yeah. Right? Like, uh, yeah, you're a, you're a cartoonist yeah, cartoonist. Yeah. And, yeah. It's, and it's so funny that you that you didn't you didn't come into this to do comics. That's the part that I I kind of love about about this whole art. I, I wanted to do 
I want to do comics. Well, you want to do, but you want to do scripts. It's a different, they're different things. I know, I know, I know they were, they were. And uh, it was actually kind of interesting that Scott McCloud exploded on the scene at that same moment. Yeah. Because he began to talk about comics as a broader thought than just comic books or comic yeah. scripts. Yep. You need to think about, you know, the panels and all that. Very interesting thought, which uh, the that whatever year he was working on it, I don't know if it was 92 or 93, I think it was 93, because I kind of have a memory. I know I, I have a very clear memory of Larry Martyr dragging me over to, to Scott McCloud's table. And he's like, this guy, he does this thing called Zot, but he's working on something and you've got to look at it. Yeah, and, and it had to be ninety three. That's the part I can't really remember. It had to be ninety three. Anyway, he drags me over and he introduces me to Scott McCloud. He's got a stack about this big of original art at his little table, and he's just showing people this is stuff he was working on. And it was understanding comics, and it was yeah. about three quarters of the way done. Do you remember that year? Did you I I, I do I do. In fact, yeah, I got a I got a man I got a a photo one of the early photocopies of it. So wow. well, I'm just looking through this stuff, and I don't. Again, like like you're pointing out, I really didn't know anything about comic books or yeah. any people I'm being introduced to. And I'm just flipping through this stuff and I'm like, um, this is real. Yeah. This is real stuff yeah. that I didn't know anybody could name. Yep. I thought it was just stuff that you kind of had to kind of get through osmosis by reading um, – Neil Adams and Joe Kubert and right. Walt Kelly, right. and and he was saying it, and so I, I think that was a big part of like you you were talking about this exciting scene that happened in this movement. Yep, and Scott McCloud was part of that movement. Absolutely. He wasn't self-publishing, but he was he was inventing words and names uh, for things that you know that actually Will Eisner and Jack Kirby had actually kind of invented. Yeah, but uh, but had never named. Yeah, and I was part of the generation that was just still continuing it, knew about it, but kind of didn't know that there were rules or names to it. So it sure. was all very exciting. It was a really sure. It was a really interesting time. Sure. So there's something I would I want to ask you about here, which is Bones always been an all ages book, but the comics market at the time was very much not. For kids right like yeah. it was all structured around selling adults comics right yeah. and and, and even and, the and comics was proud of that and comics yeah. was proud of that because because comics had been for so many years you know talked to, it was so it was dumbed down it was like yeah. it, was for, it was just for kids it was just yeah. junk yeah but and, and comics was proud that the you know starting with like even with heavy metal in the 70s and corbin and the underground it was I was proud of comics being thought of that way. However, yeah. yes, you're right. When Bone came out, I don't like the term all ages comics, uh, but I may have coined it because there was a moment right around this period we're talking about in the mid nineties when Bone was exploding and not just Bone, but all sorts of things like Scott McCloud and Sandman and um, the self-publishing movement uh, and they people were talking about Bone as a kids comic, right? And as you just alluded, there's there were no kids reading comics. There were kids reading comics, but, but not but, any. 
Yeah. You know, so like I, I felt like I needed to push back against that because if Bone was accepted and labeled as a children's comic, I, my, I was, I would be in trouble because yeah. adults would stop reading it because, and there's no kids to pick up the slack at right. that time. So uh, I, I started like using the term all ages as often as I could in every interview I, I did or when, or just in conversations sure. with people because I, I just could not be a children's comic, which is ironic that I had this I kind of battle with the comics medium media. Yeah. yeah. Since I became a children's comic for sure when I went to Scholastic. Yeah. Uh, but well, and, so, time, and so this is where I wanted to take this is that, is that those color editions of bone, I think arguably kicked off the, the what has become a middle grade revolution. Like yeah. what what graphics did changed everything about the way comics are sold and handled and dealt yeah. with. It I took a couple think, years, you know. Yeah, I don't think you even need to use the word arguably. It was that 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 is a definite dividing line, yeah. um, and in fact. It, Sadly, uh, Dick Robinson just passed away. He was the family head and he was the CEO of Scholastic. And while there were a lot of people at that uh, company that were involved in bringing Bone in uh, to this children's book world and creating uh, an imprint just for graphic novels for uh, YA groups. Mm -hmm. It was really, Dick was the final decision. So um, it was, I was really sad when he, to learn that he passed just extremely recently. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the fact that they took comics and made it, a, put it in the bookstore, not in a special section, Although it's back into a special section, right? But in a good way. Yeah, but a good back way. Then, yeah. Back then, it was like if you went and saw a graphic novel, it might be Watchmen, it might be uh, a Fantagraphics book, right? But it was it was shelved with the Dungeons and Dragons rule books. Yep. It was it, it was terrible. It was just yep. spine out. It was it was always in a complete disarray. It was a, yep. it, was a it was a shambles. It was yeah. shameful. Yeah. But Scholastic said we're gonna. We're going to publish, we're going to create a new imprint, launch it with Bone, and we're going to put it in the book, in the kids section with Harry Potter. Yeah. Which was what, exactly what Vijay and I wanted to hear. Yeah. Um, especially the Harry Potter part. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, and they did it. They were true to their word. They, they, they were the first ones to take a graphic novel and market it like it was a book, sell it like it was a book, and keep it in print yeah. like it was a book. Yeah, I mean, I think I think to an extent, the only way they could do that was the fact that you had you had already done the work. It, do you know what I mean? Like you you had you had nine books ready to go. I mean, they were yeah, ready and, to yeah, go. Yeah, that was a that was a. I, 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 yeah, let me try to condense this a little bit real quickly. So, in the when we first heard from Scholastic, we act, I actually heard from Art Spiegelman. Because he and uh, Francois were trying, his wife, Francois Mouly, uh, who had done Raw together mm -hmm. and have both worked at the New Yorker together, um, 
had were had approached Scholastic about doing a graphic novel, graphic novels for kids imprint. And now there's different stories from different camps here, but my understanding is that there was also people at Scholastic who wanted to start publishing graphic novels. And whether you talk to Art and Francois, whether you talk to some of the editors of Scholastic, they both say that they wanted to launch this book with Bone. And apparently these conversations went on for like six months as they prepared to do this. And Vijay and I knew nothing about this. And finally they contacted us. So, but my first contact was with Art. And he wanted to, he was like, we're gonna do this with Scholastic. And, and he, he was pushing the color. He was the one who said it should be in color. Yeah. Um, shorten the story. Uh, I ended up at Art's enthusiastic uh, pushing uh, to sign a deal with Scholastic. I don't know exactly what happened, but Art and Francois did not sign their deal with Scholastic. They went on to create Toon Books, which I've, yeah, yeah. I've done books with them too. Yep. Um, so I didn't end up working with them for with the, the graphics line. But um, well, I'm sorry, I, I lost the first <laughs> No, no. Um Sorry. No, no, it's, it's no. That's that's all good. Um, uh, let let me let me ask about the color because because you say that that uh, art was kind of pushing you towards that. Um, did you were you hesitant to that at the beginning or? Yeah, very. I didn't. I did not want to do it in color. Oh, oh, oh I know what we were talking about. Was that? Oh, the, the books were done. Yeah, that's what that's what you're talking about. Yeah, but yeah. We'll start with the color. Um, yeah, I I I did. I, the books were complete. Vijaya, one of her one of her jobs is licensing, and she had licensed Bone into, I, I don't remember now, but it was like between fifteen and twenty languages already yeah. already being published around the world in black and white, and it was complete. Or I, there might have been one more book I was working on. I right. might have been finishing Bone while we were having this conversation. But um, yeah, Art thought it should be in color, uh, partly to differentiated from the books Vijay and I have been publishing for the last 12 years. Yeah. Um, but, but, and, and I've told this story before. So, but if you haven't heard it, it's, uh, I, it's a good story. I, he was pushing the color and I said, but art, I love black and white. I mean, I, I love comic strips. That's where, that's my, that's my Genesis. Um, and I love Mouse. Mouse, I discovered Mouse right around the same time I discovered Dark Knight Returns. And it was one of the pivotal yep. discoveries that made me want to do graphic novels. Here was a here was a book with a beginning and a middle and an end. This yeah. this this was proving that literature could be created and accepted. Yeah. Uh, and so I said, but, but so mouse is in black and white. And I was and I learned to make black and white with all my heart and soul. And he said, mouse should be in color because it's about war and the Holocaust. No, I know. I'm sorry. I said that wrong. I understood mouse what you meant. Yeah. black and white. And right. it should be in black and white because it's about the war and the Holocaust. Right. He says, but bone should be in color because it's about life and it won't be finished until it's in color. Hmm. And I was like, okay, art. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, 
So I did, I did some experiments in color and uh, Scholastic liked it. And I did like the idea of it being something different than what Vijay and I had done. Yeah. So that's how the color came about. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, I'm guessing that, that much like how going from the periodical to having your first graphic novel was a quantum leap, going from self-publishing the graphic novels to having Scholastic and not just in bookstores, but also book fairs, scholastic book fairs. This is the secret weapon of scholastic that, oh, you know, I, I mean, we all know about, I guess, but we don't really talk about enough is that they're going directly, they're selling directly to kids on a day that it's like, kids, oh, yeah. buy books. Catalog, catalog, catalog that you used to get. And the kids are excited can... by it. I remember being excited by it. I was like, totally excited. Years ago. I... And yeah. Yeah. No, go on, go on. I was excited by it too. I used to order Marmaduke books. Yeah, exactly. And, and and so uh so I'm assuming that then there was this other quantum leap that happened again in sales at that point. Yeah? Well the well, yeah, oh god, yeah, it dwarfed anything we had done previously. Right. Uh, I mean, we had done pretty well, but uh not by scholastic standards. Yeah. But uh but to, to just to top off what you were asking about, about it, we were able to do it because the book was done and proven. It was proven. right. It was it was it was read by people all around the world in multiple languages. Right. So the day we were signing the contract for this is for the very first graphics uh, book where Vijay and I fly to New York. We've negotiated the deal, you know, over six months, the contract as typical. Um, but we're going to go to New York for the signing ceremony and we're going to meet the, the marketing team. We're going to meet, we're going to meet this team and the, the, the internet team, all that. Um, the marketing team and the PR team are different. Anyway, right. <laughs> so we go there and uh, we go out to dinner with them the night before and we really love everybody. It's, they're, yeah. it's, they're a very good crew. Yeah. Uh, but our meeting, our, so the next morning, we're getting ready. We're supposed to be there at like 11 or something. We get a call like around 9.30 from Jean Fywell or her office saying that was the publisher at the time. Yeah. Uh, Jean would like you to come in like 15 minutes early. She says something she wants to discuss with you. And we're like, okay. So we hang up and Virginia look at each other. And we're like, that doesn't sound good. They're going to, they're, we, we had this, we just all of a sudden we're like, they're going to be upset because the dragon smokes a cigarette or something. Right. We knew something was up. And we looked at each other and we said, all right, we're, we're not going to agree to any changes. This book is complete. We're not going to agree to any changes. And we, we both were solid on that. Right? Right, yeah. again? Yes. Yes. So we call him back and says, we're going to come in an hour early. So we, we showed up an hour early. We're in the Jean's office. We sat down, she, you know, pleasantries. And all of a sudden, she reaches down. She picks up a stack of the black and white nine books yeah. uh, that, or it might have only been eight at that point. No, it was all nine books. And sets it on the table. And in it, you can see dozens and dozens of posters. Oh, man. Sticking out of this stack of books. Wow. And I can wow. see words on it, written on it, like um, uh, beer, uh, gambling, uh, the word G's, you know, I have I have the character say J E E Z. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and there's dozens and dozens of these things. So um, I just look at it, and she starts she starts to try to explain. Oh well, you know, like uh, some of the different 
departments like the book fairs, you know, they're, they're kind of uncomfortable with, you know, these kinds of things. Can we make some, can we just minor changes? Can we just change it? So like, so when they're having beer or something at the tavern, can we do just call it like butter beer, like they do in um, Harry, uh, Harry Potter. Potter. Yeah. And this, I, I had flashbacks because the breaking point for me when I was dealing with the syndicates back when I was trying to sell it as a strip was one of the syndicate guys said, you know, Maybe if you just had the bones talk in thought balloons. Mm. And I said, okay, why, why would the bones talk in thought balloons? They're not, they don't have ESP. He says, um, because Garfield talks in thought balloons. Right. That was actually the moment that broke me and I realized I was never going to do a comedy. Right, right, right. So, boom, I'm right back there. Butterbeer. And Vijay and I together said, look, we never said this was a children's book. We just made this book and it's all around the world and it's people, it's, it's children and parents and teachers and librarians all over the world that said it was a children's book, not us. Right. It's done. And thank you uh, for working with us, but we're not going to make any changes at this point. It's too late. It's done. And it's yeah. already out in the world. And to her credit, and and to Dick's credit, he was the CEO. She took that pile of books, one beat, picked up the books and set them on the floor and says, well, the rest of the departments are just going to have to catch up. We're doing this. Nice. And we did it. And I, oh my God! And Dick, who uh, who was just so wonderful to me and so accepting of the idea of comics in his line, yeah. uh, that decision that he made changed the game. It yeah. changed the game. And yeah. he gave me. He went and bought. Uh, he thought the bones looked like schmooze, right. which meant something to him, right? He yeah. was of that generation. He got me one of those out of print kitchen sink collections of little Abner with the schmooze and gave it to oh, cool. me. Oh, uh, it was, it was, it was a great moment. It was great. Wow. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. That I, uh, I don't know. I, every, everything about this whole story makes me so happy. I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you're, I'm glad you're letting me tell it. We're really going on here. <laughs> yeah. Right. Is it too long? We need to, do you no, no. Exactly. Um, uh, uh, we have a we have a question about color from the audience that that Jeff uh, Jeff that Jordan wants me to put up, um, and uh, it's from Andrew and Tillis. Uh, in in my opinion, Bone has a very different tone in color versus black and white. In black and white, it has more of a horror tone, whereas in color, it's very cute and cartoony. How do you feel that the use of color changes comics? That's actually a very sensible question. I'm going to let you um, answer that. I'm also going to run to the bathroom while you're doing that. So so speak okay. for a minute, okay? All right, I'll go slow. Um, well, I had, I, as, as I said, I had a little trouble adjusting to the idea of it being in color, but Scholastic, Scholastic, to be honest, didn't care if it was in color or not. That was sort of an idea that, uh, had begun with, uh, Art Spiegelman. Uh, but we were now committed to doing it in color and they were totally cool with me hiring someone in house, uh, to color it under my, my supervision. Now, I never colored a comic before, and I don't know what my, I don't think I particularly had any skills at it. Um, but uh, I do, 
so I had a guy named Steve Hammaker who worked with me at Cartoon Books, who mostly made like toys and art that wasn't on the comic. Anything I needed to do or pull together, he did that for me. And he wanted, he was interested in doing color. He, turned out he had a natural palette that I thought worked really, really well with Bo. We, I think we struggled. When you look, I think I look back on it, the nine volumes. The first volume looks a little more candy-like to me than it becomes later on. But I think that was because the two of us were learning how to do it uh, together from scratch. Uh, Steve did all the heavy lifting. Like I said, it's mostly his palette. And he, he knew Photoshop, which I knew nothing about at that time. Um, and... Uh, my my final thing is, yeah, it's different. Scholastic, another very cool thing they did and was that I, for a moment, when we made a deal with Scholastic, I took the one volume edition, which yeah. I showed earlier. Yeah. I took this off the market. This was a this is published by Cartoon Books, the J. Yep. We took that off the market to allow the Scholastic books to you know appear and, yeah. and get a hand and breathe. Yep. Um, but I had an unexpected uh, effect hit me. I was, I missed it. Uh, I felt like that big omnibus book had really made an impact in 2004 when Vijay and I showed up uh, at the San Diego at the Comic-Con with this giant freaking book with pallets in this thing. Yeah. Uh, and I, and it was, and here it was on the shelves of bookstores and comic book stores, and all of a sudden it was gone. And I felt like that was like a piece of history that was important to me. So yeah. I went to Scholastic and I said, "Can we still do?" I said, "Will you still publish this? Will you still publish the black and white one volume edition?" Yeah. And I, my memory is that they asked, like, "Well, how much? Well, how many of these have you sold?" And I was like, "We sold like ah." Oh. I, I can't remember. It might have been only 50,000. It might have been 100,000. Right. Uh, but it was something that I was really proud of. Right. And, and they were like, oh, well, you, <laughs> you just published that. We, we don't really need to worry about <laughs> So. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> I know, I know. So, the, but, the, but the, for me, the important thing is, both these exist. Yeah. This is still, I don't know, it's like in its, I don't know how many printings it's into now. It's like it's 13 or 14, I want to say. I think it's more than that. I think it okay. Um, but uh, I think this is the first printing, so I can't look. But um, yeah, so, so yes, the color, there are people, and for sure kids that like the color better. There are people that like the color version. That's what they like, and they don't like the black and white version. Yeah, but this this is still out there. Yeah, it still sells very well. Yep. Um, and this is the one I honestly I like this one better. This yeah. is, This to me is this is where my heart is. But I like the color too. And if people we, the choice is there, people want yeah. either way. Yeah. No, I love I love that. I um, uh, you know, and as I said, I mean, I you know, I think that I think that Bone really kicked off this this wave of of middle grade books and it's and it's because you were able to put out those those nine books in color 
in a relatively short amount of time. You know, it was yeah, five it took years. six months to color one. Yep, that's still yep. a long time. That was a lot. That's a lot to color and learn. Sure, uh, but yeah, but they came out. Um, yeah, every six months for about yep. five years. Yeah, and it 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 it, it really makes all the difference in the world because. So what I was going to say is, it seems to me that that bone. Bone couldn't have existed if it was just a graphic novel series, right? Like if if you came around today and you signed a contract for to do Bone, right? You there there you, you wouldn't be getting a book out every six months. You'd be getting a book out every two years, right? And yeah. the narrative the narrative would the narrative would work in the end, right? But <sighs> but there's something about that. There's something about serialization and the ability to to make that work, which I think is, is fundamental to the success of, of, of bone and your ability to bring your vision on, onto the market. Yeah. yeah. I, I agree. I, I, the fact that we were able to put it out that fast, uh, definitely caught, made new readers happen. Yeah. And then, um, a few years later, Raina joined a uh, graphics. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. First with uh, Babysitter's Club, but yep. then when she did her own book, Smile, yep, yep. the one-off, yeah. Oh, well, that well, that that took the, that took everything to the next. Exactly, level. yeah. I mean, that was that yeah. was the end. I mean, I remember being at a signing, probably with Raina, and she had a whatever her second book was, Sisters. Yeah, and then she had a little promo thing on the uh, edge of the table, and. I remember a little boy who probably could have been more than nine saw that, that there was a new Raina book coming and he went ballistic. He was yeah. so excited. And I'm like, this is, this is, this is next level shit, right? Yeah. Now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Is, we are, this is a new thing happening. Yeah. 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 Definitely the queen. No question yeah. So, so now, I mean, let's 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 jump like all the way forward. Now, you're right now. You're you're wrapping up Tuki. Um, Tuki saves the world. Uh, it's a Kickstarter. Um, uh, you serialized it, some of it, a while ago. But you're going straight to just two graphic novels here. Um, did it? Did it? Did it change the work to to sort of do it all and not? have it out there like how is that how is that in relationship to how bone was for you i, I don't know if I, I formed that question properly no i think i understood that uh, well I, I i wanted to dip my toe into web comics yeah so uh i said oh, okay once i, I finished wrestle my second uh creator own project and <clears throat> i decided i wanted to jump right into the next thing and i'm going to do a web comic mm -hmm. i was really interested in um evolution I also am really into like, you know, Conan and Doc Savage and the Shadow and Tarzan. I'm really into Pulse and, uh, and Mystical Lost Worlds. I'm into all that kind of stuff. And I was thinking that's where my next story is going to be. And I was going to, I was going to base it in a period of evolution that I thought was a really interesting place to tell the story. So uh, I just jumped in. I made up the characters. I kind of had a pretty loose idea. I knew what the ending was going to be. That's always important to me. Uh, and I started just throwing up like a page a, a week. Um, I, I did it. I don't think it worked. Uh, I, and people seem to like it, and uh, people are happy to see it come back. I've I've gotten that message. Yeah. But when it was one thing when I was doing one page a week, and in my mind I was like, oh, this is this is this week's 
Prince Valiant or Flash right. Gordon or the Phantom. This is this week's Sunday funny. Right. But then uh, I tried to, after I think like three years, I started to try to publish them as comic books. Yep. Uh, and I had a couple problems. One was because I did them landscape yep. to fit your computer, I yep. had to I had to print them sort of like a calendar. Right? Yeah. And people those don't work as comics because they fall off the shelf. Yeah. Right? People, so yeah, people didn't like that. But that, that's not the problem I had. With it. My problem was putting these Sunday to be continued pages one page after the other, they didn't flow. Right. They didn't come yeah. alive in a way that's very important uh, in my comic storytelling. I thought it was very start and stop. And and and, and, it, and then, then there's a third element that made me just shut the whole thing down. Well, there's a fourth one, but I'll tell you that after. This was, um, I introduced these little kids into the story. And at that point, the, the, the main character, Tukey, was sort of just like a man with no name, sort of like a Clint Eastwood wanderer. And these kids came in and were kind of like, you know, get away from me, kid. Well, that was wrong. I knew that this needed to be a family story. Yeah. And it had to be a different tone between Tukey and the kids. And it was gonna, I needed to just stop and start from the beginning. So, and then the, the fourth reason was I couldn't make a penny on a fucking webcomic. <laughs> <laughs> right? Right? What, hey, what was the business model? You could never figure it out. Merchandise is the business model. I, I, I spent two years, I was like, come yeah. on. Dude. I mean, me and Jay, we can figure out the business model. Yeah. We never figured out the business model. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, one one aspect of it I can tell you is you need to really build your community and communicate on a nearly daily basis with uh, the people that are supporting you. And I didn't I didn't have that skill set at least not at that time. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, I launched a comics festival in Columbus, CXC, yeah. uh, which we're now in our seventh year, I think. And it's I it, it took up a lot of brain power from Vijay and I and our whole staff for like the first four years. Now other people are running that show. And I, I for the last three years, I've spent a bunch of time rethinking Tukey without the pressure of putting it out. I, Brian, I worked from the, from the comic strip in the lantern at OSU with bone. Yeah. But the time I did a comic strip, it was about eight years. Yeah. And, and more than that, if you count the time I was actually working on the comics, it was probably like 10, 12 years. Sure. Rassel was something I started thinking about in like 1999 and didn't come out until 2008. Right. So again, we're talking, you know, almost a decade of gestation. Fun. Yeah. Tukey, I'd only thought about it for a year or so when I just jumped into it and thought, well, I only have to do a page a week. I'll just figure it out. <laughs> Well, now it's now it's been about ten years, yeah. so so it's about the right amount of time, because I have files from every year where I I, I, I had new ideas and I, I'd keep track of things and I'd add things and um, and now eventually I'm I'm quite pleased with what I have. Uh, I I think I took it to San Diego in 2019 and showed pages of it. Um, then COVID hit. Yeah. And lockdown happened. And I just had a lot more time at the board. And but I had all this prep work already ready to go. So I started actually working out the, working it out and trying to fix it. And I'd gotten feedback from people. And 
I, I ended up with enough material for two graphic novels. I couldn't yeah. believe it. So um, I was getting ready to self-publish two graphic novels of Tukey. Uh, I'll show you the cover. Here's a, I've got the proofs back from the printer. Oh, this nice. Is the cover of Tukey number one. I'm trying to get yeah. something too shiny. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Fight for fire. Oh, this is a proof. So it's got the back cover too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And um, then we have, we have a special edition cover on Kickstarter. So this is nice. it. This is the, Again, I can see the. I'm trying to let you see it. So without two. Yeah, no, no. Well, I, we can see it fine. It's good. Okay. Yeah. So these the two books make one image. I don't have the other image yet. Yeah. Uh, but he's he's facing off in the night with a stick of fire, because this takes place two million years ago, and that was when our species first cultivated fire, could control it, and ate cooked food. That's the moment, and it's also the moment when multiple human species were also alive at the same time. Species that were quite advanced and had, you know, developed fairly sophisticated stone tools, but they rejected fire. Yeah. And I thought, there might be a story there. Yeah, yeah. What happened to all these players and the stakes involved when some think fire is bad and we thought it was good? So anyway, um, I, I, I ended up with two stories. I was going to do two graphic novels. I was going to self-publish them in a much more traditional manner when I reconnected, as I mentioned earlier, with uh, the Politos and the Tucci's through their wives, actually. Their wives were doing a podcast with Vijaya. And they were like, you got to do, you got to do Kickstarter. Yeah. We're like, well, Kickstarter, isn't that just for people who are like starting out and need a, you know, need, 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 a, need a kickstart. Uh, and they're like, Yes and no. I mean, there's this whole community out there that loves to support um, projects that they love and they like being part of it. And this brought into that play that you need to do, you need to communicate and be talk to the, the people who are supporting you. And I learned my lesson from uh, the webcomic. So I began to work pretty hard to like talk to the people who were supporting it and uh, we launched as a Kickstarter. I, I'm a little nervous how that will then translate into um, getting into comic book stores. Sure. Maybe, maybe we could talk about that because yeah, um, I kind of viewed it, I, to be honest, Brian, I wasn't getting a lot of encouragement on Tukey. Yeah. Um, and I've been around a while. Yeah. Who, are people going to really want, you know, the old bone guy's new comic? Yeah. Um, well, so you're a hell of a cartoonist, so I, I think the answer is yes. But well, yeah, but you're you're Brian Hibbs of comic well, experience. There's a lot okay. of people that only want you know right. new Spider-Man books. Sure. Uh, so, in fact, I think we we a routine thing is to check in with Diamond and say, hey, what what do you think you're going to order? And we got some man's. They said like 500 books. Yeah, but Jay was mentioning that to me. Yeah, I mean, five hundred books. I mean, yeah, yeah, really? yeah, yeah, um, yeah. No, that's that's a that's a what? So, yeah. so to me, Kickstarter suddenly began to look like okay, this is um, this is a marketing tool. This yeah. is a way for me to get out there. Yeah, and explain what this is. Yeah, and let the, let this project earn its its way, or or you know, prove its worth. I guess is a better way to put it. Yeah, um, and. I got to tell you the experience without going into the whole sure. rigmarole because it was yeah. as complicated as learning how to publish it, it the yep. first time in 1991. Yep. Um, but 
it looks to me like this is a way, just like in 1991, there's a community there. Yeah. There's a feel, it feels like the beginning of a movement there. Right. Possible. Um, to get around the gatekeepers. Yeah. Now, I've always gotten around gatekeepers. Right. Just because someone wants to get around gatekeepers doesn't mean they don't want to be on comic book store shelves. Sure. So <clears throat> how are we going to figure out how? So, okay. Yeah. So the Kickstarter was successful. The books are at the printer. They're going to be done in like three weeks. Yeah. But we're going to, we are going to then put them into the, catalogs yeah. and try to get them out there. I sure. don't know what the reaction is going to be from retailers. I hope they Well, so so the, so the fundamental problem with 99% kick of kickstarters, right? Is that the creators do a production run which is designed to fill the kickstarter, right? It's not they don't they don't print an extra 5,000 copies and sell them. They they print the 500 copies that they have fans and orders for, and that's it, you know? And it never goes anywhere from there, you know? Uh, and so, you know, again, you are in a very privileged place where you already have a publishing infrastructure, a self-publishing infrastructure that already exists, that, that you doing another book, you know how to do another book in this market. So we'll see what happens, you know? it, it, it this, this thing about Diamond really frustrates me in a way that I cannot express to you because one of the things that I've been saying to Diamond for literally 20 years is that if they were smart, they would be finding the next Jeff Smith and they would be like literally bankrolling that and because it makes all of us better and richer and, and makes better comics, right? And My it makes God, they're out there. Comics. I mean, Chris Samney with his Joanna or Jonah or whatever it yeah. is. Yeah. That book is so amazing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. To see where that goes. Absolutely. And but Diamond should be getting behind this rather than like going, oh, but we have Marvel in DC. Uh we don't have to do any work, right? Or do they do they have Marvel in yeah, DC? Well, no, but this is exactly my point. And they no longer have Marvel in DC. Marvel and DC both told them to fuck off. And and now I honestly don't think that Diamond's still going to be in business five years from now. Not as not as we understand Diamond Comics, you know. Well, I I don't know about that, but I do know that uh, I I think after this pandemic is over, and you and I can go to comic book shows, yeah, like we used to. I think I think something's going to happen because that's where everything did kind of happen in my memory. Sure. Because I would go to any show, WonderCon, you name it, Ape, uh, yeah. San Diego, or Chicago, and everybody's there. The people that make comics are there. The people that read comics are there. The people that write about comics are there. The people yeah. that sell comics are there. The people that distribute comics are there. Yeah. And stuff happened. You got to see, like, oh, everybody's excited about Chris Samney's new book. Right. Let's, and, and that bubbles through the whole room. Everybody right. knows that. Uh, that's, I think, I think we're going to figure out some new, I think a new thing is, is, is kind of happening. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I hope so. I, uh, as I say, I just, I wonder how the structure is going to get there because, because well, we still I, need, I, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I don't know that I believe that, um, that the Penguin Random Houses and, and the Simon and Schuster's of the world 
are interested in supporting comics in the way that you and I are going to support comics, right? In other words, finding that next Jeff Smith and 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 only selling 600 copies of his fourth issue, right? Because that that's not how they're thinking about it, right? They're thinking about it as as they want to sell they want to sell this, right? right? And 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 this is a really really hard mechanism for young cartoonists, I think. Um, yeah, it's it's a lot to draw with no money. Yeah. And and if if Bone had only been a graphic novel, I I put it to you that Bone would probably not be successful. It probably would never have finished. Probably, you know, maybe well, you would have, maybe you would have found the presentation. But with comics comics was floppies. It was serialized floppies. Yeah, that was that was the way to do it back then. Yeah, and there are still like I said, this Chris Sam Chris Sammy that I keep talking about, man, he's doing that. Yeah, you got little Hellboy going. I mean, yeah. Yola still. He's still in. Yeah. So I don't know. I think I think something's going to get worked out. Yeah. I know. Yeah. But well, again, and, and we've totally made the change to we're now a, a, a children's medium again. Not a children's medium. We're we're open to children again, and yeah. uh, and 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 women. It, and women. Yes. No. Absolutely. And it's going to do nothing but make like all this. The other thing that I really say is that all the kids who are like eight and nine today, who who. Get to what uh, we're sitting in front of the kids rack. All, all of your books are on it. But if I pointed back to these books, and this is what they're reading when they're making comics 15 years from now, oh my God, we are going to have such good comics for 15 years from now. It's it's going to be crazy. I think the talent in the young, the new generation right now is off the chart. Yeah, I mean, I was talking about how crazed I was when I when I first discovered uh, Dave Sim and Peter Bag and yeah. those bros. Yeah. But I'm telling you, they're out there right now, and they and we're talking about serious diversification. And I'm not talking about just sex and gender. I'm talking sure, about sure. genres sure. and content. Sure, is it's it's sure. and the talent is so good. Yeah. There's really good people coming yeah. out. I, again, I'm just worried about how they how they make money and how they get to the point. Where they've got nine books, or they've got. Your I, I, come on, Brian. We've been worried right. about that for thirty years, and you I, were yeah, but, it, but, it, but even more so today, right? Because what I see is I see a lot of people feeding into um, into like do the work for free, doing doing the web comics essentially, right? Like that mm -hmm. um, the 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 Korean web comics thing. What's it called? Tapas? Is that right? What? Yeah, the app thing. What's it called? Well, it doesn't matter. Uh, yeah. So, but you know, most of the people doing comics on there are doing it for free, right? And and the ones who get the most number of hits, now those guys make a fantastic living, but everybody else is not even working for minimum wage, you know? And I I don't know. I I we're we've got a square well, there, was a, there was a there was kind of like a structure of we knew who the good stores were. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean I've I've lost track of that um just because of all the ups and downs of the sure, industry. sure, sure, sure. But uh, but there was definitely in the '90s. There was definitely we knew whether it was Jim Hanley yeah. uh, in the in New York or you yep. and Rory. I yep. mean, everybody knew there's there's a certain structure of stores, and they went all over bedrock in Texas. Yep. Um, yeah, no, I mean we we can name all the. Start. I, I, I'm not trying to name Starbucks everybody, but but, yeah. I, but maybe that can happen again. I don't know. Yeah, no, I would, I would love it. I, uh, I, I just, uh, you know, I'm afraid that I'm afraid that the corporations, who who 
run 90% of like the direct market part of it. You know, the Marvel and DC thing is still what most stores are. And, and those corporations hate the direct market. I mean, they literally do. They do not like us. They do. They don't want to do business with us. They're trying to get out of the direct market business as they can without, without recognizing just how fucking important it is to, to let books like this exist in the first place. I, I don't know. I, I could go on. I'm not going to go on though because we're talking about you and we're talking about Bone. And well, this, um, is, this is what I, I mean. This is what I. This is what I think about and talk about all the time. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the the do you do you feel pressure to do Bone again? Do, do you know what I mean? Like 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 the 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 the, the critical reaction to Rassel was pretty good, but it it really wasn't much of a commercial success, right? Yeah. No, was that was exactly that right. was that hard to um yeah, yeah. I mean of course that was I well, I was pleased that it got a good critical reception. Yeah. And I was I'm happy with the book. So yeah. But yeah, but yeah, of course it was very it was kind of a letdown. It was my sophomore project and it was right. It was okay. Um but I, but but it was important to me to do to not redo Bone. And it's still important to me to this day. I mean, I, I will not do a Bone sequel per yeah. se. Yeah. But I, even before I finished Bone, I was trying to tell people, I can't never not draw them again. I mean, they're, right. I've been drawing them, they're me. They're me from when I was in kindergarten. You've been so, drawing them um, since you're five. So I come up with little things. Like we, we're doing, I'm working on a book called Tall Tales 2 okay. for Graphic Scholastic right now, cool. which is, uh, it has some bone stories in it, um, yeah. so it's an excuse. It's not a direct sequel. It's yeah. it's not you know you know. But but I get to draw the bones. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. But it's more about me getting to draw the bones than feeding the machine. Sure, sure, sure. I did yeah, do exactly. one. I did. I tried to do some children's books with the bones with Scholastic, and I f and I felt like that was a little bit like trying to feed the machine, and those books flopped. Yeah. Completely. So. Yeah. I, I I decided well if I'm going to do bone it's going to be stuff I want to do not be trying to feed the the machine. Yeah 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 yeah. The uh, the machine is likely to get bigger though right because there's going to be a Netflix animated is that is that still happening? That's still happening. That's, That's still happening. happening. Are is it it's got to be close ish? No no. Uh, this is a it's a much it's a much more complicated process. Uh, okay. We're we're writing. Actually, we're almost done writing. Okay. Um, we're just doing the notes on we, we've we, we've I don't want to say too much because I don't want to take any of Netflix's thunder. But yeah. we uh, we've decided you know how many episodes it is. We are doing following the book fairly closely. Yeah. Uh, we have two showrunners that are amazing, and you would know who they were and the shows they came from. Uh, they were the my first choices. Um, they're doing a great job. Uh, and, 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 and they've agreed, I'm assuming, to beginning, middle, and end? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, there, this is, this was almost like the decision to go with Scholastic. It's like, oh, they get it. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, and it's, I've been burned so often by Hollywood, Brian. Sure, I, sure. I have to always say, it could still go to shit. But I'm having fun right now, which I, I cannot say about any of my other experiences with uh, Hollywood. They were yeah. all awful, hellish experiences, um, but this is fun, and it's creative, 
And uh, yeah, I mean, we, we're, I have a meeting on Friday where we're going to go over those last few episodes. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm very excited. Nice. Nice. So uh, it's, it's still in just the writing phase. It hasn't actually yeah. started animating at all. Or? No, well, I mean, t we're doing, we're, we're, we're looking at styles or we're trying yeah. things. We're doing tests and yeah. Uh, yeah, we, have, we have, I mean, we, we just got a line producer. That was like a huge, big step. Yeah, uh, yeah. somebody's actually going to start spending money. With right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but but you know, they like this is Netflix. They do they do the whole thing. Yeah, we do the whole. I mean, we, they you know, so you can watch the whole season all at once, yeah. and they and they launch simultaneously around the world the whole right. thing. Yeah. So you don't just go. It's not like I mean, there's still some kind of a Gantt chart. Uh, a spreadsheet, you know, to work on these things, but but the whole thing's got to be done. So it's all you have to have everything nailed down. Absolutely, the whole thing. So it's a lot Absolutely. of prep work. A lot of prep yeah, yeah. Now, but Sorry, we feel yeah. good about the people that are working on it for sure. Uh, I, I, that's I, I'm I'm genuinely I'm genuinely happy that you were excited by this because because uh, I I've heard some of the the stories not necessarily from you but like just how Hollywood will screw you over. Yeah, yeah. You well, know, uh, when well, Vijay and I watched. Um, um, Sweet Tooth. Yeah. The first episode when it came out, and Vijay immediately tweeted to Jeff Lemire and goes, Are you happy with this? Because, man, this this is really good. We've read the books. Yeah. So we know the differences between the book and the show. Yeah. yeah. And um, then, which isn't great. Uh, yeah. But he, he wrote back that he's very happy. So, yeah. That made me happy that somebody's having a good time. And of course, Neil's having a very good time with yeah. good opens and. Sandman, so yeah, yeah, yeah. We well, talked about that a month ago. Neil's, yeah. Neil's been waiting as long as I have for sure. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's weird, it's weird how it took so long. And uh, I don't know, it couldn't happen to better people, though. That's all I can say. I, uh, I, I, I love you, comics people. I love you all. And you're, you have, I'm so happy that you guys have the success that you do. I, I really genuinely well, you're do. A big part of it. You were a big part of it. Well, I mean, I, I do what I can. It's because I love the work, right? The work is the thing that, that matters, you know? And uh, Well, and, and, you know, in my experience, every comics retailer I know, and I've known a lot. Yep. And I've known you in from that very first group I ever yep. met. All comics retailers, without exception that I've ever met, love comics, and they love finding comics for their customers. Yep. So that's why I think even though we're in some kind of state of flux and there's new things happening, like the distribution system is going through some kind of evolution. Yeah. Kickstarter is a new thing or Indiegogo or not necessarily just Kickstarter or yeah. just shows coming back together. Sure. I think I, my, my belief that creators and the talent I see and yeah. that comics retailers want, want to get comics, we're yeah. going to figure this out. Yeah. I kick Kickstarter and crowdfunding worries me because I'm afraid that it it's going to suck all of the energy from the most dedicated fans. You know, I'm worried about that too. Like I'm, well, but, I'm not but that's about, a, I'm that's not a, about a good kind of a worry. That's not a, like I, you know, I actually think the Tukey is going to be a book that's, that's not going to fall into that category, you know, um, at least that's my hope. And I'm really glad that you guys had a, you know, a retailer tier and, and you made that happen too. So, um yeah 500 copies i cannot believe that diamonds had 500 copies that i it, I, I am staggered by that i i, I cannot ah. 
Oh, I, you know, um, I don't know. I don't know what their world is like, what they're going through anymore. But yeah, well, uh, I don't think that wasn't do enough. That. that wasn't enough for us to think. Let's do that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, if it's hopefully, not enough, hopefully for, that you know, you uh, like I said, Kickstarter let us. We we it's yeah. a proving ground. Yeah. Uh, there's clearly. Uh, I mean, not it's not it's not scholastic numbers by a sure. long shot. Well, you crushed. Oh, you crushed. You you absolutely was, crushed. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, we sold about six thousand books in yeah in, in a short period of time. That's, so that's an like, awful lot of fulfillment that you now have to do. But I but I have a really really good team that's been yeah. with me for over twenty five years. Well, but they're uh, but they're, they're probably honest. not used to like oh my god we're gonna have to do all of this in like three weeks oh my god oh well no no I'm not saying we're not all shit in our pants. <laughs> Well, because because we didn't we got in we got into it and it and it, it blew up so fast yeah that we did we had talked about some stretch goals but we thought we had a week or at least a week to like kind of get our act together and man no it just right. we were like we blew past like all our first yeah stretch, and then we were like making it like we're gonna do closing day pins yeah we haven't done closing day pins since the nineties right yeah, so yeah. we're like all of a sudden we're, we're making keychains oh I make a cool keychain. I got my keys on. Look at this, man. So this is a this is a this guy. We found this guy who makes uh, perfectly accurate Homo erectus skull keychains. That's cool. And then, we, uh, and then we found another company that would make like a little Tukey cover. Oh, that's awesome. So that's a and then so that's what's those are that we've got those. Those are all going to go out with the first books. Um, keys to my studio and bike are not included. <laughs> <laughs> So, so it's fun. It's fun. And I, I'm really hopeful that it won't, I, I, this is what I'm worried about. Uh, not you or retailers that I've known for a long time or who know my stuff, but people are going to be like, well, you just sucked all that. Like you said, all the energy, you just sucked all the sales out of it. Nobody's going to buy it. I worry about that. And that's something that we're going to have to talk about going forward and seeing how it works, not just for me, but for other people. Well, this is this is the thing where now that you know Diamond no longer has Marvel in DC, I think it gives you potentially a uh, a piece of leverage uh, to take some leadership and to go to Diamond. Look, let's make this book big. We've shown on Kickstarter can be big. We need your help to be able to get the word out because it's it's where Diamond has to pivot, right? Diamond has to pivot to actually selling books, right? They, they, they spent 25 years not having to use that muscle. They don't know how to use that muscle anymore. I'm, I'm yeah, editorializing. They were, actually, they were actually super supportive of sure. me and the other self-publishers yeah. back in the 90s. They yeah. were really cool about it. Yeah. Uh, Capital was really good, too. Yeah. Remember Wayne Markley? I do. I do. I love that. But, but love there was that. always the difference between Capital and Diamond. You know, Diamond's catalog, Capital's catalog was always, here's a book that we believe in. We like this book. We think yeah. you should read this book. And Diamond's catalog was like, well, here's who's paying us money for ads. You know? Uh, I'm just saying. Well, we're getting a little inside baseball. Sorry, Keith. No, I know. I know. I know. <laughs> um, 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 I think this whole interview has been inside baseball. But do, you, do you have you uh, do you have a, a big project in your mind that's germinating that maybe we won't see for five or seven more years? Uh, I do. But, I do have a little one that's just that's starting. Okay. Um, when I thought when I thought Tukey was, I was going to have to just abandon it at one point because I just wasn't really getting any encouragement. Yeah. I, I did come up with about three ideas and then 
suddenly the three of them became one idea together. Oh. And I, I, it's just floating around back there. But I would like to do, this was two books of Tukey. I would like that to be six books. I want to do four more. Oh, Tukey, wow. Okay. Okay. Uh, to get to the ending of the story. Are you, well, really um, like it's, it's not the, it's not the web comic. It's, I mean, I, I saved most of the artwork and I, I kept some of the main points of the story that happened in there, but it's a different story. It has a very different tone. It's a different, it's not quite real. It's based in real paleoanthropology, but it's not, it's more Miyazaki. Okay. Um, okay. Then, um, you know, real archeology span or something. What's your, um, What's your level of production these days? I mean, are you, is it a page a week or are you doing better than that or? It, it, well, it just, it's always just depended. Um, sure. I, I, I mean, I did, I pretty much penciled and inked 90% of the two books um, in pretty much during the COVID when I was just trapped at my desk. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. But I'd had a couple of years to like really figure out what I was doing. So I don't know exactly what's going to happen. I still have about 50 pages of the second one to ink, but it's all written. It's all pencil. Yeah. It's all lettered. I just have to ink it. So I'll, I'll, I'll let you know how, how quickly I'm inking those pages. But it, I mean, but it sounds like you were pretty much getting a page a day done overall. Uh, probably averaged out. I, mean, yeah. I, yeah. I never did like a page and then yeah. start to finish. But yeah, yeah. probably averaged out. I, I got like very close to um, – 250 pages between the two books Yeah, of comics. Yeah. So well, it's three, 300 and well, about 400 days. So a page every other day. Yeah. I would say a page every other day is about right. Yeah. That's great. Once, once great. I had the story figured out. I could yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Um, you, you don't work digitally. I'm assuming you're still pen and paper at, at, at a yeah, desk. Although, although a weird thing has happened over the years where starting with learning Photoshop to do the color on yeah. for Scholastic. Uh, I, a lot of my work with Shazam and Rassel and with now with Tukey, I do the page is what I think it's going to be. I, I'm, I'm, and I get it done, lettered, inked, everything. But then when I see it all together, that editing skill that I have, that it's not me doing it and I can read it and I can go, oh, that's not good. Right. Uh, I change things, but then I change them digitally. Mm, okay. So, uh, so even though there are original pages, quite a few of them uh, are not what the final version is. They're not the final version. I mean, some of them are, but there's interesting. The word balloons a lot. Sometimes I'll move three panels off of this page and, and fill that up with new artwork and move those three panels somewhere else. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Um, do you? Um, do you? <sighs> Do you still work with with paper and and pen because that's how you do it, or or oh, do yeah. you like the or do you like the feedback? I guess I like the feedback from my brush. Yeah. So here's a I happen to have a page here. This is a page from the new Tukey comic. Nice. Uh, this is uh, you can see their camp out. You can see the the adults are all talking. Uh, yep. You can see the shadows of that yep. kids. Yep. Um, but that's all pen and ink. And yeah. I, these are all balloons that I have hand lettered. Yeah. Well, hand lettered, except I, I made a font. Oh, okay. All right. And then, so they're pasted on there. Yeah. yeah. 
Okay, so yeah, so that and you get a size of how big it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I did that. I can tell you on this page, I changed these balloons in different. They're the final ones are not those balloons. Okay. Um, but I like the feel of pushing the the black ink around on the paper. Yeah. Of taking my brush, I, I brought. I told you I brought props. I I waited for two hours to bring them out. Of here. <laughs> So I have some brushes. I, this is this is my main brush right here. So this is my pen dot, my pencil case. Yeah. I have a number one brush, sable hair, comes from the tail of sables. Right. Uh, and I can get thicks and thins. Every every uh, line on that page came from this brush, whether it was the thicks nice. around here or the real gentle, you know, texture. That's yeah. all the same brush, and I love that. At that point, I've gone over the story so many times. I don't have to really, I can just zone out a little bit and just, I can make, you know, I can do this, the, the hatching. Yeah. You have one interesting brush here. This is, uh, this was a brush that was once owned by Milton Kniff. Wow. Um, he donated all his uh, artwork and papers to the Ohio State University. Now it's called the Billy Ireland Cartoon Museum and Library. Yeah, uh, which I discovered very early on in in 1982, when it was just two rooms in the journalism building, and they were they had all this material they had to go through and catalog, and they had boxes and boxes of these. Milton Kniff kept all his brushes in big rubber bands and wrapped in plastic, and they had I don't know how many they had, but they had a ton of them. And one of the guys that worked there that I knew pretty well, he goes, "We got so many of these. Do you want these?" And he gave me a stack of these Milton Kniff brushes. They look, look at look how pretty these are. Yeah, 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 yeah. I could see. And they are like they are like just they like you put dip them in ink and they're just like like a <laughs> of broom. But man, I so I fill in to this day all the all the big dark areas in yeah. bone in Rassel and in Tukey are all been filled in by Kniffs. With Perry and the Pirates Juju. I love it. I love it. That's fucking fantastic, dude. Oh, that's great. That no, that's man. That is. That I, got is one, cool. I got one more example that I brought along. This is. I showed you. I showed you this cover earlier. It's the special edition cover of two. Yeah. Well, this is the original art of that. I got all my drinks and coffee here. I don't want to spill. <laughs> so here's a. That's the original art. You can see how big it is. But it also has yeah. a little ink wash on it. Yeah. 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 And the other half of that is okay. So there's that one, and then yeah. this is the other. This is book two, special. Edition. Oh, nice, super nice. I love it. So those that's be great, fun. beautiful. Fuck yeah, man. I uh, that's that dude, dude. I am so happy that you are working and and this work's coming out because you kind of disappeared, you know. Uh, for, for well, quite I, some well time. I, spent, I spent like five years really dedicated full time to this festival, yeah. But I needed that time to think, yeah, 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 about yeah. Tukey. So, yeah, well, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be doing it again for sure, yeah, yeah. 
I'm, I, I can't wait. I, I can't wait. Uh, it's, it's funny because, you know, normally my, my, my last question would be, you know, plug something coming up, but we, that was what we just did for the last 15 minutes. So good, man. Uh, good job. Good job. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> is there anything else that you want to say to the assembled people of the world? Uh, no. Um, I mean, if, if you're one of the people that was on the Kickstarter, I, my, my gratitude is quite sincere. We had this amazing experience, Brian, where, I mentioned how you 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 must engage with the audience, and we all four of us did. Me, Vijaya, Kathleen Glowson, and Tom Gott. We were yeah. all talking to people all day, like from eight in the morning to eight at night. We were yeah. all talking to people, and this amazing thing happened. It was so everybody was so happy. Everybody was just so freaking happy. It was comics. Com, com, it was they were they wanted to they, you know a lot of people read Bone back in the nineties, like our age. A lot of people read it when they were young and just the enthusiasm was truly cool. I, I started to remember why I love comics even more again. Uh, oh, I love that. It makes me just want to go even more back to the shows where, uh, you know, where you can meet, meet the readers again. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I love that. And, and that'll be next year. That's what we're going to do next year. You know, once, yeah. once everybody gets vaccinated, get vaccinated. If you're not vaccinated people, um, yeah. All right, let's 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 end it. Let's end it here, particularly because, particularly because you have the business background as well as being a self-publisher. I, you know, the thing that we always ask. There's a lot of cartoonists, wannabe cartoonists, who who watch these shows. What's the piece of advice that you would give someone coming up, a cartoonist, a new creator? Uh, how would you? generally advise them you know whether it's whether it's something businessy whether it's something philosophical whether it's something crafty i i i don't know it's totally on on up to you for how you want to uh uh answer that um well if you've sat through this whole thing you you heard me explain my experience uh i'm not sure that the situation is the same the institutions are not the same um but I hope what you heard was uh, uh, me and Vijaya. We both uh, we we worked really hard to work, figure out the system, and ride it out. So you do have to figure that out. And I I have nothing really insightful for people who are starting brand new, uh, other than you are resilient, and if you want to do this, you'll figure it out. But my, my, but if I was going to really give advice. It would really be more about the creative side, the artist side. Yeah. And that's do what you want to do. Don't do it for the audience. Don't try to figure out what would sell. Do what you want to do and do it as well as you can. Draw it as well as you can. And I can tell you, I wasted a lot of years waiting for other people to give me permission to start right. doing a comic. And I never got it. Yeah. So don't wait for anybody's permission. Just figure it out and do it. Yes. I wow. I agree with every word of that. That is fantastic. Jeff, I, I we're at two and a half hours, believe it or not. I that's incredible. If any, anybody's still out there, yeah. I, I just I feel like we've been only talking for 45 minutes. I mean, this is just such a I, I, I love talking to you and I I can't wait to see you and Vijay again. Uh Next time, next time we get in the same city, I'm really excited for this. Um, uh, Bone is awesome. Uh, Tuki is going to be awesome. We know that. Um, 
and just thank you for your time and your generosity here. Uh, I have a little housekeeping on my end, not housekeeping, but uh, on Sunday, uh, we are, it's the Kids Club, um, and we've got uh, No One Returns from the Enchanted Forest by Robin Robinson, which is a great deal of fun. This is a great book. Uh, so Robin's going to be here then. Um, next month's Classic Club is, uh, is going to be Lock and Key. Um, so we've got uh, Joe Hill, Gabriel uh, Rodriguez, and Chris Rael, the editor, is also going to be here to talk about this. Um, and then our uh, adult graphic novel of the month club next month is Alison Bechtel and The Secret of Superhuman Strength. So now you know what the next couple shows are, so you're going to want to tune into all of those as well, I think. Because I love talking about comics with people who love comics. And I loved talking with my friend... Long-time friend, Jeff Smith. Uh, Good to see who, you, man. I'm just, I'm so happy. I'm just so happy for you, man. I'm so I happy. See, I can see that. Okay, so I, I've been waiting all night for this. Okay. Uh, I, I brought a, a, a rum back from Key West. This is really oh, nice. It's called Pilar, named after Hemingway's boat. It's delicious. I've been waiting all night. Cheers, my friend. Cheers to you. I'm drinking water, but yes, cheers to you, my friend. Hmm. Awesome. Well, that's it for the graphic novel of the month club for this uh, for this episode. Thank you, Jeff Smith. Thank you, Jordan, for running the show. Thank you, Zoe and Kat and all the rest of my staff for keeping me alive. Uh, thank you for the beat for being a sponsor. Thank you for the members for making sure that this is possible. And most of all, thank you, Jeff Smith and all of the creators like you who allow us to to have this graphic novel of the month club. So thank you. We'll see you next month. Good night.